This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Jeff and Terry. The gang's here. Learning as we go, folks. We're figuring it out here on the Matt Townsend Show. And a uh, lot to cover today. Some of it, you know, you just don't, you don't know how deep you want to go. The president was mentioned on 60 Minutes for about 30 minutes of the 60. The best part of 60 Minutes last night? Yeah. As my microphone falls apart here. Uh, you fast forward about the 40-minute mark, and then they talk about this wonderful NBA player that's playing for the Milwaukee Bucks. Known oh, awesome. as the Greek Freak. Oh, yeah. He's and you incredible. can watch his whole story coming from the streets of Greece to NBA stardom. Really? And it's an, you go to the gym. That was on last night? Yeah, it was after the story everyone else apparently was paying attention to. Okay. But I skipped it because I wanted to see about I, the NBA I'm going to go track that down. Yeah, because it's on their website. The, the Greek freak. It seems like that's derogatory, but uh, well, it's he's because so his, talented. His name is Giannis Atupuk, something uh-huh. really long. There's lots of consonants and 13 letters, may, I think. So, may yeah. be the next, like, LeBron. You Maybe. Think? I, mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. He's pretty incredible. Yeah. And he plays for the Bucks. The Bucks. Yeah. But he's a, I mean, he shows up for the NBA draft and, like, where's your suit? And he goes, I need a suit? What? Uh-oh. So just, you know. Nobody told me that. Rags to riches type of story. It's kind of maybe maybe a little inspiring in in light of the rest of that show. Yeah. Did uh, and you now know we're now into the final four, and apparently nobody told Loyola Chicago, Chicago that no. they can't be in it, even though they're in it. Yeah. It's that nun in the wheelchair keeps praying. Sister them. Jean. Sister Jean keeps praying them through. She's ninety eight. That is so cool for her. Yeah. Uh, Loyola is in the Final Four. Michigan will play. Those two will play against each other. Villanova and Kansas, two number ones, will play against each other. Do you think I can get her to pray for my Los Angeles Dodgers? Will that work? Uh, Or does it only work in basketball? I think it's even more than the praying. You've also got to believe. What are you saying? I don't know. There's also a skill factor. Yeah. If you don't have the skill, maybe it just doesn't work for you. So what if Loyola wins and then plays Villanova or Kansas? This is incredible. An 11 seed playing a number one seed. Has it ever? What's the lowest seed that's ever made it to the finals? We're going to find that out. Terry's looking it up as we speak right now. We had some pretty low seeds make it into the final four of our sports movie bracket on screen cleaning on Friday. Uh, Who are the final four? So we still have one more bracket to go. But the two films from the left bracket that are moving on are... Field of Dreams, not yes. a surprise. Yeah. And the Mighty Ducks. Hmm. What? Yeah. What? Hoosiers uh, is out. Yeah. The Sandlot is uh, out. Chariots of Fire oh. is out. Seems like it's it just wasn't done right. How could you? <laughs> Mighty Ducks. Come on. For a sports movie? I mean, it is a sports movie, let's be real, but hockey? Okay. Um, Let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Find out what else we should be paying attention to. Terry? So as this story says, President Trump is preparing to expel dozens of Russian diplomats. And the story just hit my phone that he has expelled 60 Russian diplomats and orders the Seattle consulate shuttered in response to the U.K. spy case where the uh, former 
Russian spy living in the UK was poisoned. Him yeah. and his daughter, they're in the hospital still trying to uh, recover from whatever it was that poisoned them. Uh, Trump agreed with the recommendation of advisors and the expulsions likely be announced today, which they have been. Uh, they're, they're cautioned that Trump's decision may not be final. Trump is prepared to act, but first wants to be sure European allies will take similar steps against Russia. We just heard on the BBC News that Germany is expelling diplomats also, so it looks like maybe the, the other European countries are on board and there's going to be a a unified approach to this. So, so this is about the killing of that one agent man. He's not dead, but... Oh, oh he, the poisoning, yeah. It's the idea. He was in a public restaurant. He was poisoned. There's like 30, 20 to 30 other people in the restaurant. They were contaminated, possibly. They had to destroy the table they were mm. sitting at. Things. Have, it's dangerous to do this. It's a big deal, yeah. Maybe if they did it in more of a, a private way, maybe it wouldn't be such a response. I'm not sure, but... Well, this is a big deal for Trump because many thought that Trump and Putin were like besties. Lithuania, uh, Latvia, Estonia, and the Czech Republic are all expected to follow suit and expel Russian diplomats. Just it's, a, it's like a pylon. A, a big pushback. We'll wow, see what happens. Is, Russia has news. said they will reciprocate. If you kick out 60, we'll kick out 60. You shut down a building, we'll shut down a building. Wow. Yeah, this will be fun. Plus, I'm sure other sanctions and you thought everyone. Tra- you thought a trade war was easy. What about a diplomacy war? Ha! Ah, scary. President Trump is planning to oust embattled Veterans Affairs Secretary David Shulkin amid an extraordinary rebellion at the agency and damaging government investigations into his alleged spending abuses. This according to three officials who didn't want to give their name to the AP. Two officials said an announcement on Shulkin could happen this week. Subject to Trump's final decision in the White House is uh, looking at replacements. There's some Fox News people, I believe, that uh, Trump wants to use to replace well, this gentleman. Well, some of them are veterans. Well, sure. So they could just be put right in the But cabinet. their job interview was because they were on Fox and Friends on the <laughs> right, weekend. Right. Trump, who spent the weekend at his Mar-a-Lago estate, told associates that he would keep two other administration officials who had been currently under fire. That'd be John F. Kelly, chief of staff, and uh, Ben Carson, and that $31,000 table that he blamed on his wife. Was, you saw that report. Yeah, Oh, yeah. Was, was, this the, was this the guy, though, that... Remember they were having all the problems with the VA yeah, hospitals yeah. and... He flew his wife around, and there was some money, and there were some emails that were that were uh, doctored to make it seem like he was getting an award somewhere in another country, and instead they were just paying for him to go to a tennis match. Oh. That was the story. Okay. So, yeah, it just this happens in... Pre, in hey, veterans uh, like tennis. A bunch of different departments uh, with cabinet this secretaries. Yeah, he's had three or four of these now. Yeah. They, they called Travel in... Travel gates. Four of the secretaries, I believe it was last week or the, the week before, called into the White House to, to uh, chew them out. Mm-hmm. On their spending habits and how it's public. Wow. And people know that you're spending inordinate amounts on doors to your office. Yeah. Stuff well, like that. I mean, and, you know, it, th- this is a White House that spends a lot of money on travel. Well, yeah. Because someone wants to spend time at his golf resort. Yeah, I wonder who that is. I'm not sure. Pope Francis appeared to offer his support to the young student activists fighting to stop gun violence the day after the streets of D.C. and other U.S. cities filled with March for Our Lives demonstrators. In his Palm Sunday Mass in St. Peter's Square, the pontiff said that it is the duty of the next generation to cry out even when the older generation wants to sedate them and keep them from getting involved. Wow. There are many ways to silence young people and make them invisible, many ways to... Uh, anesthetize them and make them keep quiet, ask nothing, question nothing. There are many ways to sedate them, to keep them from getting involved, make their dreams flat and dreary, petty and plaintive. 
He said, it's up to you to not to keep quiet. Maybe there's a translation there. It's up to you not to keep quiet. Even if others keep quiet, we, if we older people uh, as leaders, come, uh, some corrupt, keep quiet. If the whole world keeps quiet and loses its joy, I ask you, will you cry out? That's the Pope. Those Palm are Sunday. strong words. Yeah. Okay, cool. Palm Sunday. Yeah, Easter's Sunday, yeah. so get your eggs. Good. Um, finally, Mike Hughes, the California man who's most known for his belief that the earth is shaped like a Frisbee. Uh, finally blasted off into the sky in a steam-powered rocket that he had built himself, this over the Mojave Desert. Oh, yeah. If you remember, there was another attempt. They had to, they had yeah. to stop it yeah. because the government came and said, hey, you, we're not going to be responsible when you come crashing back into Earth on government land. So he had to move down the road to some private land. And the owner of that land was like, sure, go ahead, blast off, whatever. Do what you want. Give me it's some money. Property. The 61-year-old limo driver and daredevil-turned-rocket maker soared about 1,875 feet above the Mojave Desert Saturday afternoon. And, um, yeah, he, he, what, what, what did he find? Well, that's the thing. He only was up there for about a minute and a half or so. And then he came crashing back to earth. Yeah. That's all you'd need. Um, there were some parachutes, some ambulance, uh, uh, some, uh, emergency personnel were there to haul him away because uh-huh. apparently he was hurt, but then he came back and he was on a stretcher and then he was okay. It was kind of a chaotic scene. Wow. Um, apparently it was inconclusive and he <laughs> looks to, uh, launch himself again into the okay. sky to see what happens. Yeah. All right, that makes sense. Yeah. Inconclusive, folks. Uh, still wondering if um, the Earth is more like a pizza or more like a, a globe, sphere. So far, inconclusive, according to our latest research out of the Mojave Desert. We'll continue the journey, folks, doing what we can to, un, uh, un, you know, to crack some of the codes. And who better to help us than Joe Can and our Washington Insider is up next. to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Uh, and uh, today we're talking politics this hour, at least, with Joe Cannon. Joe's our Washington insider. He was a past chairman of the Utah Republican Party and uh, also is uh, now the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. Also was an editor of the, of, a, of the Deseret Morning News. And we like to pick his brain. We like to have him on the show for a variety of reasons. He, uh, he really is the Renaissance man. He knows a little bit about everything or a lot about a lot of things. And so we like to have him on the show. Joe, welcome to the program, my friend. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. You bet. Talk to me. It's uh, opening day, apparently, of baseball. How are the Dodgers going to do? Oh, my heart's broken from last year. But uh, like every baseball fan or fan of sports, I'm just hoping yet again that they can pull it off this year. Your favorite team. T.S. Eliot famously in the, well, one of the most famous opening lines in poetry and in uh, the wasteland said, April is the cruelest month. But actually, it's a great month because, as you point out, it's baseball season <laughs> opens and um, we have the Masters tournament yes. in Augusta, Georgia. On the other hand, I guess for a lot of participants in both, it can be very cruel. Yeah. No, it totally can, and it's. But it, I love, uh, I love how baseball starts. It just seems so 
calm and, you know, the games are very laid back. Some of the weather's not so great, but it's just calm. Then, you know, I mean, especially after the season last year when, uh, I don't know, I feel, I feel like I got so much more involved in it. Now I, I'm excited for um, to just have a nice, a nice slow opening. In fact, I'm going to make sure I catch a game. I'm not going to say where. Because I don't want to give away any allegiances yet. But uh, I'll be talking about oh, it in the next but, few uh, weeks. Okay, great. <laughs> great. But it will be somewhere in California, just to keep it clean. Hey, um, here's the deal, Joe. Well, as long, wait, 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 wait. As long as it, it's not in San Francisco. Yeah. No, it'll be – okay, be good, good. It'll be in you, Southern you Cal. It'll be in Southern Cal. Okay. okay yes. Okay, okay. Yeah. I got it. I got it. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain there still. Um, talk to me about uh, the the Congress avoided a shutdown. I mean, wow, um, they passed a spending bill that that's that's pretty big spending bill, right? It makes you wonder if this is are these Republicans? Wow, yes, that was. Um, I think the the best thing you can say is that it avoided a shutdown. Uh, I. I it, yeah, it's so interesting because many, many Republicans voted against it. And, of course, many Democrats voted against it. It was a really interesting mix. Yeah. Yet in the House, 256 members voting, 167 not. Many of those not voting in favor were the uh, really the conservative Freedom Caucus folks. Not one of the Utah delegation voted in favor of it in the House. Mm. In the Senate— uh, Senator Lee voted against it and issued a very strong statement about it, and uh, Senator Hatch voted for it. Uh, interestingly, that uh, Senator Hatch doesn't have to worry about elections anymore. So yeah, uh, but and he supported he supported leadership. The president initially said sort of an odd threat to veto it because it was only passed after the understanding. Uh, by the Republicans in the Senate that he would not veto it. Uh, but it's an enormous bill, and it's got, you know, I just spent a little time this morning looking at all the things that it has and a lot of the things it doesn't have, especially when you're looking at it from President Trump's perspective. It, does, it has, like, almost minimal funding of the wall. It doesn't take care of the DACA problem. The one thing I did, I, I talked to one pretty conservative uh, House member who said, well, it does have some good military funding in it. Mm. And that, that was enough to bring along uh, some conservatives uh, because it does uh, increase funding for the military. Well, that's why President but Trump kept uh, bringing up the military then, huh? Oh, yeah, that's the, 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 the only thing the positive for him. him too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it was just a big, big, expensive very traditional bill. Let's say the one thing I heard uh, directly and indirectly from from folks is that a very deep fear that the House, if it already wasn't in jeopardy for Republicans, it, this clearly puts it in jeopardy because the it, it's a, a base issue. It's a, you know Rush Limbaugh came out, who's normally right. big, just saw, just saw the headline came out. Uh, you know, uh, really against this bill. And it's just very apparently dispiriting to the base. And one, I literally talked to one fairly senior member of the House who said, 
Yeah, I don't think we're going to keep the house in November. Oh wow! This is a this is a um, kind of a reprise. This person said of the uh, uh, President H W George H W Bush's no new taxes, saying he would never raise taxes. Then he did raise taxes, and it would just weaken the base. And there are lots of people who think that he lost that election to Bill Clinton um, in 1992 because of the um, violating the no new taxes pledge. And this is a little bit like that. You know, the the Trump base and the base of many Republicans, the Tea Party base, is all about reining in government spending. And there's no evidence of reining in in uh, in this bill. Well, and it seems like if there's going to be the threat of a shutdown, so is that what happened? There was the threat of the shutdown, and then the Democrats pushed a lot of other, you know, uh, I mean, it's not just Democrats, but Democrats and others pushed, there's pork in there. There's just a bunch of stuff in there that didn't need to be in there, but they left it in there because it wouldn't pass otherwise, and we'd have a shutdown. Yeah, you definitely needed Democrat votes to get this passed in, in both houses. You had to have Democrat votes. In the Senate, you really needed over more than 60 votes. So it wasn't just the, the normal you know, uh, majority vote. So you had to have at least 60. Eventually, they got 65 with a huge number of Democrats uh, supporting it. So when you get, you know, from a Republican's perspective, when you get Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer praising a spending bill when they're in the minority, you know, you wow. have a lot of Democrat uh, Democrat stuff in there. But you had Republican pork. I mean, this yeah. is a, this is a, um, a bipartisan pork bill. <laughs> That's so we'll see so what happens in, in November. It be, uh, could be a very, very telling. Yeah. Um, I guess, too, this might be just is, – is this just Pelosi and Schumer? Are they just outplaying the Republican, the GOP? Well, they have a lot of power. I mean, you know, you hear at one at one level, you hear, gosh, the Republicans on the House and the Senate and the White House. Why can't they just do everything they want? Well, because in the Senate, at least, you got to have for many, many things, you got to have at least 60 votes. Hmm. And uh, so that gives the Democrats a lot of blocking power and negotiating power in the Senate, coupled with, you know, some more traditional Republicans who you know, tend tend to go along with these spending bills. Yeah. So the conservative part of the Senate is it's not even fifty really uh, on on a lot of these spending kind of issues. It, it, it's it's a good coalition on a lot of issues, but it turns out not on spending. Yeah. Yeah, not there. Hey, what do you think about the changes to uh, the president's staff with? Um, with H.R. Uh, McMaster out and uh, John Bolton in? Well, I should say, I should just disclose right up front, I've known John Bolton for many years. I first met him in 1975 when he was helping at the with the Supreme Court argument on uh, it's a case called Buckley versus Vallejo. That's worth a long discussion, but it's, it was a very important uh, campaign finance um, case uh, in the Supreme Court, and and I was a trustee of the American Enterprise Institute for many years, where Bolton was there. And anyway, so I'm I'm biased on this. I will I will say he's he's like a Rorschach test. 
uh, uh, people, you say John Bolton, and many, many people, particularly in the traditional establishment on you know, both sides, Republicans and Democrats, just can't stand him. You know, wow, he's the devil. And he's kind of made up to this of this caricature of, uh, you know, this dark, um, you know, uh, pro-war kind of a guy. And there's no question he's a hawk um, on things. But I think it's crazy to think that, well, we're just going to get into war because John Bolton is there. Right. But for one thing, the president himself is uh, – I mean, a, a, a bit, there are many surprises about this because while Bolton is a hawk – you know, President Trump campaigned on, hey, um, we don't want to get into any more stupid Iraq wars, and we want to get out of them. Right. And, um, and of course, Bolton was one of the architects in many people's minds of the, of the Iraq war. But he is an immensely bright, immensely talented guy, um, and he's also not a crazy person. He's forceful, and but then so is the president. I mean, the president is the guy who's threatened to bomb North Korea. Um, so, will we be safer? Be, be interesting. Yeah. Do, will will is is he as is he as safe as a as a replacement to H.R. McMaster as a national well, security you advisor? Know, you know, McMaster is a general, and and now notwithstanding people. Uh, who are generals in the military, you think, well, maybe they might be more warmongers. In fact, they understand better than anybody the bad, the adverse consequences of going to war. So McMaster definitely was not a hawk in uh, in this area. But I just think, sort of in the case of Tillerson, I just think they never gelled. Uh, McMaster and uh, the president never gelled. Yeah, and uh, I think the pre- one one of the things that's appearing in this case is the president's choosing people he just kind of feels comfortable with, and I guess he feels comfortable with Bolton. He feel feels comfortable with Larry Kudlow, uh, who's going to be his chief economic advisor. Um, so he's, he's sort of getting, as he says, kind of getting the cabinet he wants, but it's it's. You know, pretty interesting. I mean, Bolton is a hawk, and uh, is that is that yet another negotiating tactic on yeah. on President Trump's part? Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. George Will, you know, who is yeah. famously not only hashtag never Trump, he's like just never Trump, <laughs> and he also doesn't like Bolton. So he wrote this just tremendously oh. vitriolic column. Just ripping both Trump and Bolton, but his biggest fear is in in George Will's mind, Trump, President Trump, doesn't have any guiding principles, and so by turning his national security uh, function over to John Bolton, who is uh, unquestionably a brilliant guy, he's he's worried that Bolton will have even undue influence oh, on yeah. the president. So I don't know. Um, so far, it doesn't seem like anybody has in particular undue influence on him. That he just he does what he wants to do. What do you? Uh, what do you? What's your take, Joe, on um, the the tariffs and uh, and how China responded to the tariffs by now kind of targeting the fo- the farm belt, um, basically saying, "Great, if you're gonna if you're gonna put tariffs on us, we'll put tariffs on you." Um, and make it harder for your 
farm belt, uh, the people that you have to serve in, in the United States to, to sell their goods? Yeah, well, trade wars are trade wars. And, you know, uh, it's, there's no at, – at one level, you push on a balloon and, you know, the, it goes in another direction. Um, uh, you know, there's generally there comes to be an equilibrium in international trade. And I think what, what the, I think what the president uh, campaigned on was I don't like that equilibrium. I think that that equilibrium is a you know is not in favor of the United States. So I'm going to undo. I'm going to up, upend this equilibrium. And he did it by both both um, um, his statements and then his actions. So his statements were plenty. You know, strong on on uh, on trade wars, but the then his actions actually by imposing tariffs. Mm. And, okay, no, I'm really, I'm realist. And by the way, we're going to renegotiate. Uh, then you have to ask yourself, what is is this all tactics? So I mean, what's happening? And like for example, one of the things that's happening is China is saying, uh, okay. Um, uh, Maybe we'll come to the table. Boy, I mean, you know, yeah. Right. Even, even even as we speak, even as we speak, the uh, stock market is apparently going up because uh, uh, you know China is indicated. Well, let's talk about trade. Let's, let's talk before we have a, uh, a a a big big war. So yesterday, the Wall Street Journal reported that China and the U.S. are quietly, that's their word, quietly negotiating to improve American access to mainland China markets. Um, so wow. you know, after the, the president not just didn't announce uh, uh, tariffs on steel and uh, aluminum, but last week he also announced specific tariffs adding up to about $60 billion dollars. Uh, on imports and then other kinds of restrictions of, uh, with the Chinese. So the Chinese said, okay, we're going to, we're going to retaliate. And then boom, the stock market went crazy down, downward. Yeah. Now, just based on, based on the two hints or indications that, uh, you know, maybe we can figure out ways, we Chinese, maybe we can figure out ways to, you know, cut back on the reduction of tariffs on U.S. automobiles and mm. have greater financial access to financial markets in China that, um, you know, maybe there's a path path here. Um, also, South Korea, which has a huge, you know, trading partner of ours, indicated that they're willing to amend their free trade deal to work with Americans to, to kind of you know, get away from some of the. Is it South Korea. so? I, I don't know. Maybe this all. Maybe this whole thing is just a gigantic um, deal. Yeah. The way the market's reacting today, it's showing hope that there's a. That, you know that there can be a, not a trade war. Yeah, a little method to the madness, maybe. You've got. You've got um, a different economists saying maybe this is quote a phony trade war. Mm. So I don't know where, where it's going to go, but it's clearly a lot of negotiation going back and forth. 
Well, yeah, and I guess that's the uh, that's the that's the thing that we we probably need to figure out is um, you know you never know with President Trump what's real and what's not, but boy, if it's moving the markets, that's certainly something. Joe, we appreciate you, uh, Joe. Again, Joe Cannon's our Washington insider, and we just like to pick his brain. Somebody that is in the know, that knows the right people, and knows the issues. Uh, so that's why we we bring him on every week. He's the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization that's trying to lower your fuel costs right here in the United States. And we all need it. We all need as much insight as we can get. Uh, stuff, it's, it, it seems like crazy at times, but uh, maybe there is a method to all of this. We'll continue the journey straight ahead. We'll be doing a little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. I walk through the streets And I realize that everything Shines in a different way What's the matter with you, boy? You too stupid to do what your coach tells you? Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, um, it's it really is. It's kind of intriguing, actually, to hear Joe talk about uh, this this tariff, you know, announcement. Because remember, President Trump made the, the announcement on the tariffs um, – and and did so in a way that a lot of people were surprised, a lot of people were shocked, thinking, uh, what are you doing? What are you doing? But is it possible that he's – this is just kind of more of his method of negotiation? Is this just how he does it? And, um, you know, maybe some of us just don't necessarily understand the process enough we don't understand, you know, we, we're used to the old way where it would be through diplomacy and there were really no surprises and no nobody was overtly publicly playing each other as strongly as President Trump might play some political leaders. Remember with name calling and all the gamesmanship that he does. So uh, anyway, I mean, some of his negotiating ne- negotiating tactics, uh, I guess they work. Um, you can always debate whether it's appropriate or not. One of the things that I'm uh, I'm I'm worried about a little bit with my own uh, life and my own family and kids is, am I? I don't want to raise kids that are really big politickers, right? I don't want to raise uh, my kids to be somebody that's constantly negotiating everything or that that um, that is is questioning or debating every single solitary thing that we we do in our families. So how do you raise your child to be, you know, a positive person, not just a a major politicker? And I again, I guess we're I'm casting aspersions and negative uh, you know, imagery about being a politician, but there's there's some great tricks there. There's importance about negotiating the ability to get stuff done. But um, we want our kids to get results as well. So some some principles we might be able to use with them. Let's make sure that we're we're making sure that actions speak louder than words. Like if you're not seeing a lot of action coming from what's going on with your kids, then then maybe let's demand a little bit more movement of their life, not just uh, talking about moving, talking about what they're going to get done. Yeah, mom, I promise I'll get my room cleaned, and then they never get their room cleaned. We we got to be careful um, that we're not creating somebody that just is a 
is a mover and a shaker, that somebody that's just going to tell you a bunch of lies as as we get older. Action must speak louder than words. Uh, we also have to learn the, the, the gift, I guess, of valuing people more than popularity and power. One of the problems I, we talked about last week on the show was perfectionism, and sometimes we care more about how many likes we're getting on our Facebook page than truly actually getting to know people and valuing people. Do your children know how to value other people? Do they understand the inherent worth of every soul, of every human being on this earth? Politickers just kind of see people as voting blocks, as individuals. Um, if, if all we do is that we just kind of get used to using people, then we tend to see people as disposable. People just give us you know, what we want. But we want our kids to be able to understand the value of, um, of people. So, so is that what you're instructing your children on? How about uh, the fact that their confidence needs to come from the inside of them, not from the outside in? Are you teaching your family about confidence and, and showing them that confidence comes from you know, understanding your principles and living your principles? How many politicians right now would you suggest you, you follow because they're so deeply connected to principle? And there's a reason why they're their numbers are dropping. Congress's numbers are at an all-time low. Senate as well. The presidential uh, office as well. We don't seem to trust our politicians. And maybe it's because they they don't necessarily seem to exude principles and we don't necessarily even know what their principles are. Uh, everybody keeps saying, you know, they're not able to say what they really want to say. So they have to go along with bills bills that nobody likes um, or people struggle with. So we got to figure it out, folks. We've got to figure it out. And at some point, um, it's got to begin somewhere. So as a parent, let's start doing what we can to push principles over positions, to demand some trustworthiness, teach that trustworthiness has grown by having character and being good at what you're doing, competency as well. And then let's start re- recognizing that being an honorable person is more important than just having a position. A little help, a little help from your coach here. Just doing what we can to help all of us grow healthier, happier families. This is the Matt Townsend Show. If you want to listen to more of the shows on BYU Radio that talk about good, download the BYU Radio app and take the station with you. You'll have access to our live stream as well as past episodes of shows like Top of Mind or The Matt Townsend Show. You can also hear live BYU Cougar sports and the sports talk that comes from BYU Radio. Plus, you'll be able to listen to the great performances from the musicians featured on Highway 89. The app is free and easy to download on any platform. The BYU Radio app. Talk about good wherever you go. Welcome back, friends. You know, Kim Giles, uh, she's a contributor on the show, and she's with us regularly. She is the uh, president and founder of Clarity Point Life Coaching and named one of the top 20 advice gurus in the country by Good Morning America. Kim joined the show a few months back where we talked about reactive parenting, and I wanted to revisit the interview. I began that interview by pointing out how reactive our parenting can be and how we can avoid following that emotion. I'll give you an example. Um, I let Abby, my daughter you met, get a puppy. Oh, she's cute. But the deal has been she's totally responsible. She has to clean up this puppy. Oh. And try to potty train it. It's not working very well. Puppy made this huge mess, and I'd asked her to clean it, and she didn't. 
And I hadn't gone downstairs for a few days, so I hadn't noticed. And I finally went downstairs and saw that she'd left this mess and hadn't cleaned it. And I just reacted. Did you go off? I was about to. Okay. I was about to because I was mad. I was thinking the dog is gone. We're getting rid of the dog. (laughs) You're in trouble. So what I've been trying to teach and learn to do myself in that moment, step back from it. And take a minute and try to recognize what you're afraid of Uh that's playing into this. Am I, have I got fear of failure? Have I got fear of loss? And I realized, for me, it was fear of loss. I feel like she's wrecking my house. Yeah. And I'm the one who's paying this for this house. Yeah. And, and I'm going to have to pay if it gets wrecked. So I feel literally robbed. Yeah, she's using you. I'm having these feelings of being taken advantage of. And it's mm. all around scarcity. Yeah. And lack. And so you've got to step back and realize what you're really afraid of. What's really ha- – is this about your image? Is this about – yeah, you being taken from. And when you can identify what it is, you got to ask yourself, is this a fear that you have issues with before this even happened? Yeah, yeah. Is this yeah. just generally an issue you have? And I had to stand back and go, yeah, I do. I have fear of loss issues. Yeah. And and I worry about money and paying for things. Yeah, and am so I going to be able to, yeah. This is a fear that is my issue. And I have got to learn how to step back and get in trust and not... This was a beautiful thing here that my daughter served as a teacher in my journey to trigger the fear right. and bring it out of me so I could recognize I have fear of loss issues. So I need to work on those and recognizing that she needs to also work on responsibility. Yeah, yeah. So I could sit down and have a conversation with her about her part and my part and what I need to work on and what she needs to work on and the deal that we made with the dog and the consequences. And, but I could handle it so much more but loving you, and But calm. it's because you didn't go with the emotion. You paused it in a way and stepped back and then asked about your fear. What's what's the fear driver here? Yes. So don't think that's the key thing yeah. is don't react in the moment. Count to 10. Step Get back. Get some space. Understand that you've got to look at your own issues first yeah. and be accountable for your part of this. And and I really feel like every reaction with my child, it's either a love reaction or it's a fear reaction. And I have my clients keep track in a week of every reaction with their child, how many are love and how many are fear. Oh, yeah. And it's it's really crazy it's how often our re- interactions are fear reactions. And if that's what our relationship is based with, it's not going to be a good no, relationship. No. We're we're they're not going to respect us. We're going to have this. But it seems like you guys lack of connection. You could have just fought about the dog, but you were you recognize your problem was your reaction to the event, not the dog at all. This isn't about the dog. This is about your reaction, and behind the reaction was the fear. Right. Not the dog. It's no, but we fight about the dog. It becomes the symbol. It's the lesson. lesson. Right. It's the lesson. So we don't want to get caught up in that and miss the miss the lesson. That's great. And now we also have to teach our children, but we can have a discussion about being more responsible from a place of trust and love. That's right. And our child's going to be a lot more open to learning in that space than the space where you're angry and attacking because all they hear is my mom is mean. This woman is a witch. Um, Which will only generate more lesson. fear in them. So my fear begets yours, and then we just beat each other up. Yeah. And but then, we the, call but then the focus is on how mean my mom is, not, you know, I do need to be more responsible and learn something yeah. from this. You have to calm down 
and approach them from a calmer, more loving place or they won't get the right. lesson. No, that's right. Which is what we that's really want to have happen. So that we take that space. What else do we do? In, I guess, and ask ourselves a question. Is that what you did? You got into your fear. Yeah. What, what question do we ask again? Well, first, what am I afraid of yeah. here? What's the real core issue that I'm afraid of? And for me to recognize that it's it's my house being wrecked. Yeah. And that's tied to my fear about money. And so it's just – and yeah, I've got money fear issues and they yeah. have nothing to do with my child. Mm. They just brought them to the surface. And this is a good opportunity for me to work on my money fear issues right. and get more in trust, have an abundance mentality, and I get to practice that today. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah, thank you. But, yes. And it's you, you still are going to teach her. You're not just going to let – okay, I'll just take that one and let her go. You're still going to teach your responsibility. Absolutely. But after you are in the right space to teach. Yeah, so the same thing with the tattoo issue we yeah. talked about. I had to recognize I have fear of judgment issues. I'm afraid what people are going to think about me. Mm-hmm. And this is a beautiful opportunity for me to let go of that and recognize it doesn't That's matter right. and choose to come from love. Yeah. Well, I mean, and then even that, accept it to a degree that that's her choice and even tell people. Like you're on radio telling people this. So in some regard, you're using it as a lesson, but you're also learning – I mean – you didn't have to use that example. We didn't have to know your daughter has a tattoo because <laughs> now we're like, oh, my word, what kind of mother lets her daughter have a tattoo? But you, you're, let, you're healing because you're actually letting these stories out too. So you, you're getting more tolerant of that. Well, it's been a good lesson because can it's I be honest lesson. with you? Please, yeah, no one, yeah, Everybody I've met who's had a tattoo are the nicest people They're I've the ever met. incredible people. Yeah, nicest people. I mean, if you go to prison, it's a little different. Okay, but, but – in- but and they're still nice. They just have issues. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah. And, and they're, they so usually we, tend to be loving life. We all need to get past right. some of those things those that may judgments. not be your lifestyle choice. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that anybody is no. not an absolutely wonderful human being. And my daughter, I am so proud of her. She is solid gold in her heart. She's the best person. And that's what matters more but than you're, anything. But you are facing your fears. And it's actually making you a better person. So that's what we're working on. And you're less reactive. You're phenomenal. How would it be? But it's just, you just, it's it's consciousness. You have to be consciously working on this, not just don't yell. Well, I honestly feel if we could start seeing everything that happens to you every day as today's lesson from the universe to help you be a better person. This alone would change everything because you don't get as reactive when you understand, oh, this is here in my life to help me grow up and become a better person. Mm -hmm. It's it's not just about my carpet getting wrecked. This is a growth opportunity. That's true. If you were in a lab in your psychology class and they were having you do a test, you'd go about the test differently. Like, okay. This is about learning. Yeah, but if they just spring the test on you. Right. So everybody, every day, you're stuck in traffic. That's today's lesson. Your child makes you mad. Today's lesson. That is Kim Giles, um, again, one of our great contributors here on the Matt Townsend Show. Kim is the founder of Clarity Point Life Coaching. And how true is that about uh, reactivity and and jumping on your kids and, and just... I mean, there is a time to react, right? And we will put it on our Facebook page or on our Twitter page, a great uh, image that uh, I found just looking at social media last night, uh, a wonderful example of a family gathered around 
a computer screen while their daughter was looking to see if she got accepted to college. And holy cow, what a cool experience. The minute she did get accepted to college, the entire family breaks into screams. They're jumping all over the place. And she's in. She's in. By the way, perfect way to react, right? So reactivity is not a bad thing. It's just a bad thing when you're reacting in a way that's counter to your value system. When you're reacting in a way that that you're going to regret later and be embarrassed by. So let's let's react in the healthiest way we possibly can according to values. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Monday to you. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered and uh, President Trump may be um, breaking up with Mr. Putin. Really? They're not they're not going to be besties anymore. He's been reluctant to. Yeah. He has been, but As I nonetheless heard... expelling 60 Russians. Yes. If you're a Russian diplomat in the United States, you may be on your way out. How many do they have here? Cuz they already kicked a bunch out. Uh, yeah. well, President Obama kicked a bunch out and shut down two facilities. Then they shut down, I think there was a uh an uh embassy or some building they had in San Francisco. Right. Where they had, there was smoke coming out of the top of the building because they were burning papers, <laughs> apparently. And then uh, now 60 more kicked out, plus they're shuttering a embassy or something, a, a building of some sort in Seattle. They closed that down up there. So it's like, how many do they have in the U.S.? Isn't there, isn't there an oligarch that owns one of our teams somewhere? Uh, the New Jersey, or excuse me, the Brooklyn Nets. I wonder if he's going. I don't know. Yeah, probably not. He got caught in some financial stuff, too, so I'm not sure how oligarchy he is anymore. Yeah, maybe he's been, yeah, defrocked. He he had, he was the kind of guy that had a uh, massive multi-million dollar yacht, and he wasn't sure where it was. Ugh, don't you hate that? You though. misplaced the yacht. What do you I mean? Do? And then you're like, oh, is it here? Is it here? It's like my it, wife my, my wife was looking for a pair of tan pants that belonged to one of my boys right. all Sunday morning. Hmm. And so that's like we'd be. Where did you put the yacht? And yeah. then I, I'd ask her, "Where was the last time? Was it the Caymans, were, the Maldives? Yeah. Which one? Just uh-huh. let me know. Just okay. Hun, think of it this way: what, what were you doing last time you lost the yacht? Mm. Those are the questions I like to ask when we. It's lose. like finding your keys, right? <laughs> that's unbelievable. Yeah, he misplaced a yacht. Yeah. Do you remember when Jeff misplaced Yahtzee? No. That was a bad day. That would too. be unforgivable in my household. That yeah. game has been played more than any of the other games Yahtzee. we own. No, it's a good game. It's a really good game. Uh, and if we had time today, we would talk to Jeff about his date where he went to a board game hmm. bar. What really? do they call it? Like a board game. It was a board game cafe, cafe, basically. They should call it the board game bistro. There you go. By the way, board spelled B O R E D. Oh. Board. Wrong. I'm not into board. Games. By the way, the hardest move to get in Yahtzee is not the Yahtzee. It is the large straight. 
Yeah. Hmm. Well, well, there you go. Speaking of large straits, let's get to uh, Terry South um, and who's going to give us our headlines. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to? President Trump, in a series of tweets Sunday morning, cast his border wall proposal as an issue of national security and suggested the military be involved in its construction because the Defense Department is flush with cash thanks to its 2018 and 2019 budgets because of the 700 and $716 billion received to build our military, or as it says... Oh, this is okay. I have to read this verbatim. It's 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 Twitter. Okay, the president is speaking because of the seven hundred and seven hundred sixteen billion dollars gotten to rebuild our, our military. Many jobs are created, and our military is rich, or is again rich. Building a great border wall with drugs, poison, and enemy combatants pouring into our country uh, is all about national defense. Wow, or something. Um, so okay. the question would be there: What he uses the word "gotten"? Yeah, gotten and rich. Military, it seems like our goal, you know, it's the country that's rich. We're just paying for our protection right. of our military. Yeah. We're not trying to, like, enrich in the military. And then he says there's drugs and enemy combatants pouring into our country. Right. Okay. Like, mm. you know, sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's hard to pull off every tweet. Yeah. You know? Right. Some tweets you didn't. You just didn't get out right. He he was a little disappointed because the uh, spending bill that was passed there's not the mon- not the amount of money he wanted for right. the wall. There's a portion of it, so he says construction will begin immediately. In reality, the 1.6 billion allotted to border the border barriers in the omnibus spending bill is only for maintenance and planning purposes, not for new construction. So we're going so we'll to maintain what, what we've got, and yeah. then we're going to plan what we're going to get. And then we're going to wait for money, and then the money will come. Then we'll build the wall. Right. Unless right? unless they lose control of the house in November, and then that will never happen. Well, and you only, if you think of it this way, we're only, he's only been in a year. Yeah. A little over a year, mm-hmm. and so it's not easy. This will take time. Sure. So we'll see. It's just interesting the trying to decipher tweets. Yeah. A majority of American voters v- favor stricter gun laws from uh, 91% who back universal ground, ba- ground uh, background checks to the 60% who want a ban on assault rifles and semi-automatic weapons according to a Fox News poll released on Sunday. So 91% back universal background checks, 60% want to ban assault rifles and semi-automatic weapons. 91%. Universal background checks. Seems like a no-brainer. Like, that's where you go. That's what you do. That's what you propose. A 53 to 40% margin, so 50 to 40, voters said protecting people against gun violence is more important than protecting gun rights. Though people in gun-owning households disagree with that statement by a margin of 57 to 37. Sure. Voters in gun households were split on banning assault rifles, 50 to 47. A 57% majority of all voters opposed letting teachers and school officials carry guns on school grounds, an increase from 2013, though 69% of respondents favored putting armed guards in schools. Yeah. So this is kind of where the Back, by the country way, the, is. and we didn't mention it, but the big march, there was a, there was a lot of people marching over the weekend about right. this as well. So it's still, th- th- this, which I think is pretty interesting. We always talk about these kids aren't motivated today but these kids are motivated right a lot of kids are motivated what do they do with it now yeah they had their march now what how are you going to continue this and well i guess the downside is you have to have legislators that do something well yeah 
The, the kids can only march so much. But, you know, they, as they said multiple times, they're going to vote at some point. So yeah. we'll see what happens. Business economic or economists are expressing optimism that tax cuts and increased government spending will accelerate economic growth over the next two years. The latest survey by the National Association for Business Economics Projects or projects that the, co- the economy will grow 2.9% this year. That would be the best performance in three years. Up from the their forecast of three months ago, which envisioned a 2.5% growth. The difference between the two, so now they're saying they're looking at a 2.9 growth. They were yeah. looking at 2.5. The difference is the uh, the $1.5 trillion tax cut, and lawmakers reached a deal to raise spending for the military and domestic programs by $300 billion over two years. Wow. So because of those two effects on the economy, they think it's actually going to improve Bingo. the performance. That's good. We'll see. Yeah. It's all speculation, and you know it is trending in a certain way. We've had all the job growth. Yeah, every every job report that comes out, it's, it's better and better. So, uh, Puxacuni Phil. Oh yeah, what's apparently he doing? he's in trouble. We'll do this for our, our final story here. He is a wanted groundhog. Oh no, Pennsylvania they didn't get him too, did they? A Pennsylvania sheriff's <sighs> officer has put up a wanted poster for Phil. The handlers of the groundhog last month said the furry rodent called for six more weeks of winter after seeing his shadow. The Monroe County Sheriff's Office said that uh, that expired last week, yet a spring storm brought more snow to the northeast Wednesday and Thursday Uh, last week, if you remember. Yeah. Corporal Scott Martin says uh, he created the poster and placed it on the wanted wall because he is sick of the snow in the spring. The poster claims Phil is wanted for deception. Phil is described as having brown and gray hair, brown eyes, sharp teeth. Records dating to 1887 show Phil, or... Whoever it was, yeah, because it could be an imposter. An imp- yeah, totally. Do you think a groundhog lasts a hundred years? Well, I mean, a lot of it depends on its diet. It could be. They say he has predicted more winter one hundred three times while forecasting in early spring just eighteen times. I thought you were going to say he was involved with the Me Too movement that's going on. No, he's no. just a liar. Oh, good. Well, oh. D- didn't didn't somebody drop uh, Pug Satani once a few years ago? They dropped him accidentally and. I mean, he's never right quite there. been the same. No, once. So I think he might be that a little was, off. That uh, was New York Mayor Bill de Blasio. Yeah. He dropped the groundhog that New York, they have in New York City. Yeah. And it later Which died. was Punxsutawney's. I think they're relatives. Could I think be. they're cousins. Yeah. So I think from now on, just take what Punxsutawney Phil says and it'll be the opposite. It's a good way to, it's a good way to run the, the science of weather. Is by grabbing a groundhog and then torturing it every year as you try to get your little grand groundhog into a little groundhog tuxedo. Never, never fair when you think about it. I don't know where the animal rights activists are, but that's where they need to be. Save that poor little rodent. Now he's on the lamb. Now he's running away from everybody. Crazy. Hey, up next, we're going to be talking about how to focus. Do you need some help getting your head in the game and being able to cut through all the chaos in life and actually focus on one thing? Well, you're not going to want to miss our next guest. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you focus. BYU Radio. Talk about good. In an age of information overload, 
With so many things going on around us, it can be difficult to maintain our focus while at work or just day to day in any part of our life. This reduces our productivity and efficiency, ultimately hindering our ability uh, to grow as well as really the growth of our company. If everyone is not focused at, at work, the company is going to struggle as well. Here to speak with us today about how we can focus better is Rasmus Hugard, who's the founder of The Potential Project, uh, a global training organization which delivers mindfulness programs to more than 200 organizations around the world, including companies like Nike and American Express. Rasmus, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting you bet. We see this over and over, and I mean, I, I see it with my family, um, but it, it really is getting harder to focus. Is, is this is this is it just because of technology overload, or or what is it about us today that's making it so much harder to focus? You're right. It is, that is a very good question, and definitely the technology is the vast majority of, of what is happening now. As as you probably know from your own home, people will have iPads and laptops and and phones around them all the time, and especially at work where we are bombarded with distractions all the time. And research from Harvard has found that that as a, as a result of that, because we are so incredibly distracted all the time, we are losing our ability to really pay attention to the people we are with or the, the work that we have to do. And research is actually finding that 47% of our time, our mind is involuntarily getting distracted by all kinds of stuff that is happening outside us or within our own head. Hmm. So it is definitely technology that is the that is the major major cause of this. And is it? Um, I guess part of this is it, it's dangerous because for I guess a variety of reasons. Um, but one thing I'm thinking is we we could end up prescribing more medic medicine for our kids, thinking that they have ADHD or some other diagnosis. But there's a lot of people doing jobs that they need to be focused on. Uh, you know, just because of life or the possibility of being injured. Right, that is uh, that is definitely true. You do not want a a pilot on the next flight you have that is not focused uh, during a landing, or a surgeon that is not focused on the, uh, doing the right things when he's when he's operating on you. So yes, absolutely, focus, attention is an incredibly important skill that is. Uh, as mentioned, deteriorating nowadays because of of, of this technology, technological impact that uh, that we are finding in daily life, and it is yes, it is for adults in workplaces. It's also for kids, and and as you said, there's a, a rise in the the number of kids uh, that are getting medicines for for uh, for being more distracted, mm. and that's a real problem because research has also found that those medicines don't necessarily work so well. Uh, while mindfulness training, uh, trained in a, in a in a in a right and good fashion, actually helps more than medicine. So it is a it is a bit of a, a problem all over the world. I would say. Now, talk to us about. I mean, we hear of mindfulness a lot. We've talked about it a lot on the show. But you you're actually saying let's let's just teach companies, employees, executives, and our kids and family. Let's use more mindfulness training. Is that what you? Use when when you put together the the potential project, your your program, the potential project. Right, that's a that's a good question. Uh, first of all, I don't believe in silver bullets that that that, that takes care of everything, and there are certainly some uh, um, psychological diagnoses where mindfulness is not enough or it's not the right thing. But for the average uh, John or Joe in any company, are 
distractedness and our sometimes lack of ability to be really focused on the task at hand can easily be remedied by even as little as 10 minutes of mindfulness practice every day. And there is a ton of research that has looked at this and even within our own research with the organizations we work with, finding that people who do 10 minutes of practice every day, that they actually get uh, an increase of 35% more focus. Uh, so it's quite a little effort that you need to do to get fairly significant results. So yes, I would say mindfulness is certainly a, a big help for people in organizations today. Mm. It's such a... Uh... It, I think it's awesome. So I came from the days uh, back in the day um, of Franklin Covey, which was always seen as – it was leadership training and, and time management kind of training. And it was always seen as a softer skill and all we – you know, companies wanted soft skills, but really it was the hard skills that mattered. And we pushed on the hard skills, pushed on the hard skills. And now it looks like we've broken a lot of people. And now what we need are really – they're no longer – I don't even see mindfulness as a soft skill. I see it as such an essential, critical skill that it's really like a life-saving skill. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would completely agree. And, uh, and I think what Franklin Covey did back, uh, back then in the day was amazing, really helping people to be more productive both at work and, and in life. And I think those tools are, as we know, I mean, it's even today, it's still the best-selling book on Amazon, which is crazy. I know. So many years. So many years later. It's such an amazing book with such a fantastic background. Um, But what we see today is we have entered what what, what we call an attention economy, where attention is equally important for productivity. Um, We used to measure productivity in having time to do stuff and then having the right skills, whatever those skills were. But nowadays, like say, if you have two hours to write an important report and you have all the skills needed to do that, but your mind is wandering 47% of the time, you're not going to finish. So even with the best management tools, even with the best skills and with all the time in the world, without attention, we're in trouble. And that's what we're seeing with all the many organizations we are, we are working with. Attention is coming as the core of any kind of training, any kind of learning, and any kind of performance. Mm. What what are some of your solutions or suggestions? What would they? What do we get uh, in your programs? And and what are some ways that we all just out there in the listening audience could could uh, start to impact our focus more positively? Right, there are uh, a few things that I think that I would recommend. First of all, uh, adopting a daily mindfulness practice. Uh, and a daily mindfulness practice is, is quite simple. It's really 10 minutes a day that you sit down, you use an app, and you, you simply sit down and do a practice according to what this app is, is guiding you to do. Uh, the second thing that I would recommend is to start implementing what you are learning. So basically that enhanced focus, that you start to implement that in the way you conduct your daily work. And a few specifics that I would that I would give you here is First of all, stop multitasking, because multitasking from a research perspective is the mother of all evil when it comes to performance, when it comes to well-being, when it comes to social engagement. So really stop multitasking and be more monotasking. Do one thing at a time with full focus and then shift. Mm. The second thing I would say is bring mindfulness into the way you conduct meetings. Nowadays, people bring their phones and their laptops and tablets into meetings, meaning everybody's sitting and wasting their own and other people's time, 
because you are not collectively there on the same subject. So be present, be mindful in meetings. And the last thing I would say is with emails, how you deal with emails. Emails is the biggest source of distraction for most people nowadays. Uh, so close down your email application and only open it when you really need it so that you don't get distracted unnecessarily all the time. So those are a few small tips that, uh, that we find help people generally really well. That really is, and, and, and honestly, basic, basic stuff. Don't you also focus on just the fact of diet uh, and, and, and some basic things like diet and sleep? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, diet has, has definitely impact on, on our focus and our presence. If we eat uh, too fat meat or too fat uh, meals or certainly too much sugar, uh, that impacts our, our, our focus negatively. Uh, and even, and this will come to a big surprise to most people, coffee is actually not enhancing our focus. It is making us less sleepy and drowsy, which makes us feel more focused. But we are actually more dispersed mentally. Uh, so diet is important. Eat healthy things. That's just a, a very basic thing. But you mentioned sleep as well, and sleep is the most important thing for our attention and our focus. Uh, we know that even just getting half an hour less sleep uh, gives us the same kind of sloppiness of mind as if we just had a beer and just went to work like that. Really? So sleep is so incredibly important for our focus. Don't ever, don't ever sacrifice on sleep. We did a big research project with the Harvard Business Review, finding that senior leaders are more focused and first we thought it's because they have all their secretaries taking care of them, but we realized that it's because they've been focused throughout their career that they actually uh, progress in the organization. So if you want to progress, if you want to raise in ranks, focus is so important, and getting enough sleep is a foundation for that. Mm. It's interesting, too, Rasmus. Again, we're speaking with Rasmus Hugard, who is um, the founder of The Potential Project, a global training organization which delivers mindfulness programs to more than 200 organizations around the world. Over time, he's, he's, Rasmus has been responsible and delivered 1,500 workshops around the world on this topic. Um, but Rasmus, it also seems like what's amazing, and, and you're in Harvard Business Review. You do a lot of other uh, work and presenting. But corporate America is now getting it. Uh, they're getting that these skills are so important. Is it just because it's impacting the bottom line so much? Or why is it now that corporate America is adopting some of this uh, focus on mindfulness? Right. I, I think there are three reasons for it. And one is that all surveys nowadays is finding that there is quite a lot of stress and therefore suffering in organizations and at least all the organizations we work with, and, and, and that's a quite a few hundreds, most of them American organizations, they really want to have employees that are happy and thriving and doing well at work. And they find that mindfulness helps people to find more work-life balance, more sense of resilience, a stronger sense of well-being at work. So that, I would say, is the main reason why corporate America is adopting mindfulness. Mm. Another reason is, as you say, yeah, it definitely benefits the, the, the bottom line. If people get more focused, they become more productive, and therefore the bottom line will, will, will be better off, obviously. But the last thing that uh, the corporate America is embracing with mindfulness is innovation. We know that innovation is so important today where everything is disrupted. We saw that 
the taxi industry has been taken over by Uber and so on, and Airbnb is taking over the hotel industry. Everything is being disrupted by the day. So people's ability to come up with new, smart ideas on how to do and solve old problems is enhanced through the practice of mindfulness. Again, lots of research has focused on this. So I would say corporate America is embracing mindfulness because they see it enhances well-being for the people, productivity and bottom line benefits, and innovation. Hmm. Plus it too, it seems like um, it, we, we also know a lot of employees have become disengaged and some of this is going to be the stress and my lack of resiliency and my constant interruption and I can't finish my projects. So if I could become more mindful, I would probably start to create happier emotions in my life as well as in my workplace. So it's, this is just good for emotion management as well. It, it definitely is. If, if we are not mindful, if we're distracted, we're kind of, we kind of lost control of ourselves, our thoughts, our emotions, and our behavior. So mindfulness is kind of that basic layer of self-management, of self-control. And the more we can do that, the more mindful we become, the more we can manage our emotions in a constructive way as they arise, the more we can manage our distractions when they come up. And the more we can manage all of those things, basically the kinder we can be to other people, the more productive we can be, but also the more happy we are. Mm. What do you suggest we do with our kids? How do we train this and train them up in this more mindful approach are there some techniques that work better with kids, um, and is there a certain age they need to, to have reached in order to, to start valuing mindfulness? Um, I think mindfulness can be, can be perceived as like a boring thing for adults, but it's really not. It's just a simple activity or engagement or experience of being present here now, and kids like to be present here now. Just If you've got kids, look at them, how they like run through the woods and how they're completely engaged in that or when they're in a the game, how they completely engage in that. So mindfulness is something that everybody can do, but obviously you don't want to ask kids to sit down, close their eyes and sit still for 10 minutes because they will resent that. Uh, what I did with my kids when they were small uh, was to do the what we call the teddy bear meditation. So when they're lying on their back before they go to sleep, put a teddy bear on their belly and ask them to notice how many times, basically count the times it goes up and down, Hmm. because as they breathe, their belly goes up and down, and they basically just count the bear going up and down. So find ways of engaging your kids in mindfulness practice that appeals to them, and I mean, there are thousands of ways you can do that. Uh, So it's never too early, Uh, so you should start when they're really young and when they get used to it. And then a few practical things to try and avoid with kids is obviously too, too much sugar is not good, um, another thing is uh, too many um, too many tablets around is not good either. Don't let them spend too much time with computer games, especially when they're too young. Uh, and, and 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 teach them to you know do normal things that families do, like being present with each other over the meals. Don't have a phone, and that starts with yourself. Obviously, don't bring phones into the house and into the family. That's great advice. Great advice. Well, Rasmus, we appreciate you and your your great uh, work you're doing there at, at The Potential Project. Again, Rasmus Hugard is a founder of The Potential Project. You can find that at potentialproject.com and uh, get more information on what their organization is doing, their books and, and other news 
um, and work that they are doing to help use meditation, mindfulness, and mindfulness practices to improve resiliency and improve, honestly, just performance, but uh, doing so by monotasking, not multitasking, blowing up that myth of multitasking. We will continue the journey, folks. This is... uh, This is what we're trying to do is just help elevate your understanding, your information, and hopefully your life one lesson at a time. Up next, we'll do a little Coach's Corner. This is The Matt Townsend Show. It's my house. Come on. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. So you go to work. And at work, you, uh, you're you stressed. You don't know what it is. Man, you, you, you feel so anxious. But you've never thought you were anxious. You know, life was, you could handle stuff. But you feel like you're just losing it. What's going on with you? You may just, uh, you may just be suffering from this, this focus issue that Rasmus was talking about. The pressure starting to mount. So I, I put together a little list of some hidden signs that may indicate that you may have a little anxiety, a little anxiousness going on board, right? It doesn't mean, and I don't love the label of, yeah, you're just anxious. It's, um, but you're feeling something going on. So here's some examples. And by the way, you'll notice it might simply mean to, you can't, you maybe don't have anxiety, but you just can't focus. There's too much stuff going on. So we need to learn to prioritize and, and figure out what we can say no to. One sign is that you tend to procrastinate things. If you put a lot of important things off, you know, everybody puts something off in their lives, but and we delay, we procrastinate, but procrastination may give you the appearance that you're working, but really what you're always doing is just thinking about what you need to do. So we, you know, we, we just think, I'll just delay it. I'll just keep delaying it. Um, if you keep procrastinating, it might be a sign that you're getting caught up in this too much you're being overwhelmed by it. And it's easier to just put it out, uh, ignore it, jump it, skip it instead of dealing with it. The fix would be instead of avoiding it or postponing it or, you know, moving and jibing, doing what you can to not have to deal with it, maybe just set a deadline and and choose to get it done. Get that one thing done. Find the one thing that you need to get done today and let's just get it done. And not stop till we get that thing done. That would demand, though, right, that you have a priority, that you know what your one thing is. Another thing that that tends to probably induce a lot of anxiety in us is this indecision, because we maybe don't know what's most important, and everything in this world seems important because it came over the phone and it did beep when I when I received the message. So obviously, it's important. Um, the probably the problem is it's not always important just because it beeps, you know that's just something you set on your phone, um, an alert or some type some type of warning. Decisions are hard for a lot of us. Um, it's uh, we have self doubt, we have a lot of overwhelm because we have so much to get done. We've made mistakes in the past, so our confidence is down. Anxious people, uh, or what I call uh, Ferraris. In a world full of Chevys, about 20% of people are, you know, more high sensitive, more highly tuned, more almost in a way high performance that they they might actually overthink everything. They overdo everything. They're overamped on it. So one of the fixes is simply to find ways to anticipate 
how you can, you know, maybe stay ahead, a little bit ahead of some of these issues. Uh, Maybe find ways to simplify, find ways to not make everything so difficult. Another sign that you have a a little bit of anxiety on board might be the fact that you overcomplicate everything. Everything you add so much more value to. And it's great. That's one of your gifts is to add value, but you don't need to add value to everything. Sometimes it's okay to just let it be a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Maybe you don't need to perfect it by cutting off the crust. Well, the kids won't eat it. Well, then they'll learn to deal with the crust one way or another. But maybe what we could do is not make everything harder for everyone. Or as we talked about last week, always seeking perfection. Another thing we tend to do is just make up stories. We just have lots of stories about why we don't do what we do, why we aren't getting the results we need, why things aren't happening. And if you tell a lot of stories instead of getting a lot of results, odds are you might, you might be a little anxious. So if you are telling stories, if you sense you're a perfectionist, if you tend to complicate and make things harder than they need to be, if you feel indecisive and you procrastinate a lot, my friend, you may have a little battle with anxiety. Doesn't mean you need to go get medicine. Doesn't mean you need to go to a doctor. What it does mean is you might want to start learning some resiliency skills, learning some mindfulness, learning to be in the moment, learning to be present, learning to say no, learning to find what your yeses are. Anyway, just a little advice from your coach, your guide on the side, a little Dr. Matt meeting. We just had it. We just did it. Life's good. Up next, we're going to be talking about the role of fathers in the development of their children. Dads, you're more important than you sometimes think or might get credit for. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. You know, Julie Nelson is one of our contributors here on the program, and uh, she is a, has a master's degree in marriage and family and human development. She teaches applied parenting and marriage and relationship skills at Utah Valley University, and we have her on the show regularly. A few months ago, we talked about the importance of uh, parents having time with their newborn children and discussed uh, how paid parental leave could actually lead to happier workers, happier employees, and healthier children. We need to have better policies in our country that can support families like they we do have in European yeah. countries uh, where parents are encouraged to go home. It's better for the businesses. They find that there's less um, employees um, who are um, dissatisfied. Who yeah, are, you're happier. You mm-hmm. like your company because they're helping you yeah, they're going be a better dad or mom. They're going to put more into the work when they're there. We're going to have le- um, better retention. Um, the pl- employees are going to uh, – we're going to attract better employees because you have this package. Yeah. So there are – you know, Facebook and Google, we talk about them. Yeah, those how they, the, the individual companies who offer these paid leave times. Yeah. But we need to have more of a national and state policies um, like California right. who, who can encourage even low-wage earners to go home and, and start right with their families, with their babies. And it comes down to money mm-hmm. basically because businesses don't like it because nobody – they don't want to be told how to run their business. But again, the lady mentioned, yeah. uh, Dr. Milkman, that, that when you have paid maternity and maternity leave, both paternity and maternity, has economic benefits for the company. Um, that they do have short-term costs, but the employees return and they're better, more productive. 
Um, and companies aren't in California and Rhode Island and some of these other states. Companies aren't paying for it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a payroll tax. Everybody's paying for it out of their employee wages. Yeah. And um, right now, people don't want to take the leave because they're scoffed at or looked down on by other employees to go yeah. home. Yeah. But if it's something that you have to, t- to take and now we have um, – you know, states who mandate it, then you'll look bad if you don't. Yeah. Um, we need to start going in that direction because it does. And the research has shown for 10 years in California that there are there, the, the, the benefits um, outweigh the costs. They were really were nervous about this. Yeah, when they started all the negatives. Saying, all the negatives came out. But no, there are only benefits, benefits right. for the company even. But now we're going to talk about the benefits for the family. And so talk about that. The family, yeah. it, it's good to have even dad home, mm-hmm. right? So it's not it, – obviously mom's going to be home. She's got to recover. She's going to feed the baby. She's going to do all these different things. But dads are just as important to have home. They are. And they uh, not only does it um, close the gender gap, um, so it's good for the family so that they can have better earning, but um, that men, women tend to um, – shoulder more of the domestic yeah, responsibilities sure. like you just meant, yeah. mentioned. And if fathers are home, then the father feels from the very beginning that he's not being edged out of those critical domestic responsibilities, not just playing with the kid and taking care of the child, but helping out. And that's t- a called a time for it's – a, it's a newborn stage is what they call a crucial time for renegotiation of household labor. You've got to make up new rules. Mm-hmm, with the work-family f- balance. Right. Um, and it becomes a permanent lifestyle from the very beginning. If mom's the one home um, and dad doesn't help out at all, then he doesn't ever feel like, I can do this or that's I should right. be doing this. And then mom shoulders the burden and it re- the family does pay. It's interesting. That disparity then mm-hmm. – yeah, then we don't make up for that ever. Yeah, and then she's d- d- less satisfied with her quality of her life yeah. as well. Huh. Yeah. So we talked about how um, fathers being there from the very beginning, even if it's a two weeks, just bonding with the yeah. child, knowing that he can help out and he's paid for this. And let's let's go even more than two weeks. Let's let's really help out fathers be a part of the of the children's life because you've got a brain development. Yeah. How, how it helps out with them. Um, it also helps out with social emotional development. Teaches kids when they do this more physical play with their child, not to give up when things are hard. And they don't win all the time yeah. because the unpredictability of play. And let's talk about physical development. Um, dads have a profound impact on their children's physical fitness. Studies have shown that when that's the father's, not the mother's, activity level and weight is strongly predictive of what their children's activity level and weight will be as adults. Really? Mm-hmm. That's scary. <laughs> that's scary. <laughs> Viewers. Get off your duff, yeah, dad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, get off. It's fathers who really p- play that physical role mm-hmm. of of how active their kids will be in childhood and on into I had, adults. I was sick all weekend, and my kids are like, "Dad, come out and play basketball." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "No, <laughs> I'm sick." Yeah, but but you, then you're feeling guilty, like ah, oh, it's a weekend. Kids, I should. Yeah, kids turn to their fathers. Who do they turn to their to, yeah. to go shoot baskets with? Yeah, I don't know if they've, they've ever asked my wife to go shoot baskets. Yeah. Now I do that as well, and I'm do not you? saying moms don't go out there and do that because I do that really I mean, a my lot. My wife could dunk it. Yeah, but um, but typically research has shown that it's the fathers the kids turn sure. to and the fathers that step into that role um, because typically mothers are the more nurture. We fix the yeah. food, we fix the boo boos, and then the dads are out there wrestling or well, throwing that, the ball. That disparity, she's in the house cleaning, and he's out there playing. <laughs> uh huh. 
but they, but, but but kids need both. Yeah, that's right. And so, um, and 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 the father and the mother can do both. Yeah. But if you're going to do some division of of that type of the quality of play and the quality of raising the kids, then we need to have both elements. And that's the fathers right. do have that unique contribution. And so that does show kids the model of how physically active to be. Um, and so, yeah, dad's important. The last one I want to bring up, and it's the, the Medical Leave Act is called, or the um, paternal leave and maternal leave is called the bonding leave. Hmm. Dr. Yeah, that's talked right. about yeah. the bonding leave. So let's talk about bonding for a minute. Um, when you do the rough and tumble play with your child that dad offers uniquely, it's a chance to physically show their affection to their kids. That's in how a they're fun bonding. And playful environment. You look at how fathers, I mean, I know a dad in our, our neighborhood who, man, you give him a baby and he's tossing up in the air. But he's also, when he, catches the baby he's going to do some kisses on the cheek yeah. and he's, he's going to tickle, tickle it yeah that's right yeah so this is the way dad show it's physical fashion. it's a little more mm-hmm. physical and a lot of times you'll see women turn the baby to their face and they talk to the baby mm-hmm. which is so important it's too. so important oh yeah except the men are like looking at him like you know that baby doesn't talk <laughs> so but she's tick- talking and they'll tickle and they'll you know mm-hmm. they'll use that parentese where they do a higher yeah. voice and then they and men use the baby as a puppet like mm-hmm. i'm kicking the ball and they're moving the baby's <laughs> legs yeah. It's just a different it's, – it's totally – if you just watch them naturally do what they naturally do, mm-hmm. this child's going to be fairly well-rounded Yeah, yeah. And, by letting both parents in. And so uh, single parents out there, if you don't have a, a, a male in the home, find other males that can do this yeah. type of play or you know, introduce this yourself as well. Do more of it yourself because the child needs it for brain development, for socio-emotional play yeah. um, and development, um, for physical and for bonding. They need all kinds of play. Um, the physical and the cuddling. Mm-hmm. Um, we need times to calm down. Yeah. And we need to know how the child self-regulate. And the child will learn the self-regulation if they're doing all of these things. They kinds have to be of- overstimulated and then given a space to calm down mm-hmm. with you mm-hmm. and then stimulate. But see, again, you that could come with a father, a grandfather, a neighbor, a friend, mm-hmm. somebody that's close to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, when they're on the schoolyard and they're playing and things get a little bit heated, they also know, oh, whoops, this is – yeah. and they have that in, in their head. This is so too, going too far. Right. I need to go and calm down or we should calm this game down. Mm-hmm. And those who are more aggressive, they have found in research, that end up being the bullies have not had this type of play at home, yeah. particularly with their fathers. Well, and you also see it like just you know those little kids throwing the bat in the dugout and a lot of times their dads are right there. <laughs> Yeah, they're mad about the call too. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's dads. You play a big role. That's yeah. the key. Right? So dads also, when you're playing, you're going to with this this safe environment of rough and tumble. This is the way that you help to manage your own emotions as well. It's awesome. And you're teaching the kids how to do it. That was Julie Nelson. We call her the bomb mom for a reason. The child whisperer, helping us as uh, dads to understand our roles and uh, also just the impact. That all of this plays on on the health of our children as they grow up. Speaking of healthy children, now let's get to uh, Jeffrey Liam Simpson, who uh, is going to give us a little empty news. Jeff, what's up? This is a heist of an unusual kind. What? Yes, but it's kind of exciting nonetheless. I love these. I think it's actually the plot to the next Mission Impossible movie. Oh, excellent. They're already so, writing it. Good. Miami, well, it's there are already trailers for it, but uh, Miami police officers are looking for a man who stole a neighbor's peacock. <gasps> no way. Yes. The theft was caught on camera. The video shows the man in a red shirt run around the home, then grab the peacock and carry it under his arm and to his truck as other peacocks chase him down. Oh, so there boy. was a chase scene. I could already see it in my mind, the chase scene with peacocks. They, res- they don't move really fast, do they? Really? I don't know. 
Maybe it doesn't doesn't seem that way because of their They've train or big, whatever yeah. it's called. You know what? It, anybody know what that's called? Uh, the plumage. That's right. Yeah, they're the bling. plumage. The bling. It, it takes a while for that to to follow them. Uh, residents said that despite not liking the peacocks in their neighborhood, they are upset about the theft. They have become a nuisance, but it's somebody invading, and that's not right. <laughs> that's that not is, right. That is so true. Uh, neighbors said they didn't recognize the man or his truck. Interesting. What do you think? That could be a movie. That, that could be an exciting heist movie where you're stealing a peacock. Well, I mean, it's it's kind of a cute idea. It, I, I don't know how long you could carry that. Well, if it were Hollywood, they would have to up the ante constantly. So there's, yeah. why are we stealing the peacock? Because, well, there's a diamond that this peacock has swallowed. It's swallowed it, right. right. Or it's just the peacock is is NBC. Or under the plumage of the peacock, there's a map that leads to the diamond. So that just adds one more plot element. We've got layers here that See, we've got to lay on this here. This is why you are over screen cleaning and, the, and our movie show, because I would have given up on the peacock a long time ago. But in order to find the, the map on the peacock's plumage, uh, we had to read from our dead grandfather's will where the and, peacock was located. Yeah, and we had to unbury him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That just got really complicated. But you can see how exciting it is. The chase of the peacock. Ooh. Sounds exciting. Hey, folks, doing what we can to make life a little more exciting for you. We'll continue the journey more straight ahead. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Hope you're doing well. We got a great show for you. Jeff and Terry have been spending uh, hours upon hours preparing, researching, and just putting together the show of the century, which we will now be doing. Wow. Thanks for building that up in the highest way possible. You bet. That's just a way to get you to give us even more. Of your heart and Haven't your Haven't I given you everything? I've given you my sleep, and really, what more can I give to you than that? Because you have to come in early for the show. <laughs> You're now thinking you've given me your sleep. Yes. I want your, your, your tired, your poor. I think that's something else. Your huddled masses yearning to be free. That's what I want. That, you only get that in New York. Okay. How about, can I just get a corn dog? I'll see what I can do. There's <laughs> banana bread in the break room. Is that good enough? Banana bread's my favorite break. Uh, by the way, I brought a ban- I bought a I brought a banana today, but we haven't breaded it yet. Hmm. So that's what we'll be doing during the breaks today. A little banana bread for everybody. Plus, we'll be talking about a new. It's not a new philosophy, but what if you could get really good at just you know uh, rethinking your failures. What's a, what's a failure? <laughs> it's a great example of what you should be doing is rethink your failure as just – it's an experiment. Life is just an experiment. And every day you have dozens and life, dozens of experiments. I thought life was a highway. Life is a highway. Yeah. Uh, it's an experiment. And all day long you're just 
experimenting, testing, 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 testing. It's not win or lose, good or bad, failures. It's not any of that. It's just learning, 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 learning. And our guest today will be teaching us how to uh, do that shift in your, you know, in your paradigm, how to make your mind think of life as just a bunch of little experiences. I sense, I'm sensing a greatest showman tie-in here. Because he spends the whole movie failing and then, you know, trying different things, yeah. started out as a museum, then it was kind of an exhibit, yeah. then it was a show. This this is the greatest show. Are you, Man. The movie or the, the this show, the Matt Townsend show? This show, the, the Matt Townsend show is the greatest show. You're wrong. And my favorite show show is The Greatest Showman. I think there's only one person qualified to use hyperbole. Who's that? The first hyperbole, hyperbolic. Bing, bing, bing. Yeah. The presiding, the, 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 the chief executive hyperbolic leader. Yes. I think okay. that is the technical name yeah. for the president. No, absolutely. Absolutely. We've got a lot to cover today. So we'll get to that, plus our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation, of course. They'll be joining us so we can see what's coming up on their show. Uh, also some empty news while we're at it. And uh, hero of the day. But first, let's get to Terry South. Terry, what's going on that we should be paying attention to? Uh, just out just now, shares of Facebook fell as much as 5% this morning after the FTC confirmed it's investigating the company data practices after the Cambridge Analytic oh, breach from boy. last week. The wow. FT, this is from the FTC. It says, uh, we take very seriously recent press reports raising substantial concerns about the privacy practices of Facebook. Today, the FTC is confirming that it has opened a non-public investigation into these practices and their stock dropped. Wow. So good luck. Yeah, that's that's bad. I mean, five percent. Yeah, it Sheesh. could be billions with a company that big. Oh, absolutely. So who knows? We'll find out the number later today. And by the way, go, wow. I I worry more about the likes. It what, is interesting because those, those stories actually appear on Facebook and the people like them. Yeah. What does that mean? It's kind of you get or this you, sort of you meta. Do, I like to do on. angry face. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Or the, the yeah. wow face is yeah, good, too. Yeah, that's a good face. China's economic czar and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, U.S. Trade Representative Robert uh, Lighthizer, I believe his name is, are leading the talks to improve U.S. access to Chinese markets, the Wall Street Journal reports. In a letter last week, the Trump administration sent out a specific request to China, including greater access to China's financial sector by American companies, a source told the journal. Mnuchin also called on the trade uh, Chinese trade czar on Saturday and was reportedly weighing a trip to Beijing to uh, pursue negotiations. The contact comes after President Trump signed the $60 billion in new tariffs on the Chinese last week against intellectual property theft. Ooh. So now they're negotiating after the salvos, if you will. Yes. And Trump um, launches his, the Chinese threaten theirs, and now we're going to talk about it. This is getting intense. Yeah. We'll see, because, you know, that phone charger, I need it. I, it only comes fact, from China. Yeah, that's one of my big to-dos today. <laughs> or the fidget spinners, right? Yeah. Those are some of the small I, items. Ever since, ever, I haven't, I've been fidgeting a lot more recently. Scary story. Police in Chicago arrested a man wearing body armor and carrying a loaded gun at the city's Union Station Friday. Oh, no. The Cook County State Attorney's Office reports that uh, Elijah Maluya, a native of California, was charged with unlawful use of weapon slash body armor. 
the 21-year-old was allegedly carrying a loaded 9mm pistol, wearing a bulletproof vest, and had a duffel bag carrying SWAT equipment. Oh, boy. A person for the county says they believe the SWAT gear was stolen from the New York City Police Department. Thanks, guys. The New York City Police Department is like, yeah, we're aware. Yeah, sometimes we're people figure break into a SWAT truck. <laughs> so, uh, but they got him without him firing any guns or anything. Yeah. He was he, just walking, what, like walking in wearing all of his body armor. Right. And someone's like, that seems strange. Near my home, a guy on Saturday walked into a convenience store with a rifle yes. around his his shoulders, just kind of draped around him. Like and then an he assault had rifle. Assault rifle, and then he had a, a pistol on his uh, his waist. Both were open. You could see them open carry. He's just wandering around, and they shut down. Uh, there, was, there were some schools that had some activities going on. They shut those schools down in the area, and... Yeah, little little fear. The police showed up. He's within his rights. He's like, what? He said he was just trying what? to create awareness. Well, a guy can't carry his assault rifle everywhere he goes? <laughs> Into the gas station. Wow. Yeah, kind of scared people. But, you know, laws. Uh, U.S. gunmaker Remington Outdoor Companies filed for bankruptcy protection after years of, of falling sales and lawsuits tied to the Sandy Hook Elementary School massacre. Uh, records in the bankruptcy court show they filed on Sunday... Remington had in February reached a deal with lenders to reduce its debt by about $700 million and add about $145 million in new capital, but that only bought time for it to see Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection, which it did over the weekend. Remington makes the Bushmaster AR-15-style rifle that was used in the Sandy Hook shooting yeah. in 2012. The company was cleared of any wrongdoing in the shooting, but investors distanced themselves from the company's owner after that event. Toxic so, to be next to Remington, it's interesting you'd think that these companies wouldn't be going under because well, yeah. many of the gun companies have uh, once, uh, what, the tw- after the 2016 election, their, their revenue kind of fell off a little bit. Wow. So now they're kind of struggling to make ends meet because guns aren't selling like they used to. Well, because people were afraid that they would yeah. lose their Obama rights. Obama was going to take your gun, but he wasn't, never said he was, but that drove sales, and now there's ah. a guy in office that isn't going to take them at all, and now nobody is buying, they're not like buying a, guns at the same clip. seems like that's a brand you'd want, the Remington brand. Yeah, it's a, it's a famous brand. brand, so. I mean, if you're into guns. In other news, a teenage driver attempted to get her license. It didn't go so well. Oh, boy. In fact, her behind-the-wheel test on Wednesday last week in Buffalo, Minnesota, failed at the start as she crashed into the, driver, the driver's examination station before she even got on the road. Oh, no. The 17-year-old inadvertently put the SUV into uh, drive instead of reverse as yeah. the test began. That'll do it. And she stepped on the accelerator, crashed into the uh, the building. Mm. Yeah. That's there. Yeah, that's a bad the police spokesperson said that she was not hurt, but her vehicle suffered significant damage. The examiner, a 60-year-old woman from Minnesota there, was taken to a hospital with non-critical injuries, but no word on if she passed the test or not, but you can guess. Yeah, I'm going to go with no today. We're going to just give you a big no. But we want you to come back. We don't want to discourage you. Right. But next time, maybe, I don't know, get some training. Don't be so fidgety with the pedals. Read the book. Did you know that my wife has not had a speeding ticket um, since the day she got her driver's license? Hmm. 64 years ago. So, Matt, do you ride in the car when your wife is driving? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. How does that make you feel? Well, it feels a little weird. Mm. But here's the funny thing. I have been driving her car before okay. and was pulled over mm-hmm. and ticketed because her car wasn't licensed. Mm, interesting. Because, yeah, no, her, her 
whatever had expired. Her registration had expired. So then I received the ticket that she would have gotten twice. Okay. But she hasn't had a ticket. You're taking one for the team. I'm taking one for her. Right. So my question being, you tend to drive kind of fast. Oh, do I tried I? To get, I tried to keep up with you on the freeway no, one day. You can't. That was a little rough. No, you can't. And this is, and that's with a car I don't even like. So then, if I liked my car, right. you'd never see me again. So then the question is, you drive fast. Yeah. She evidently does not drive fast. No, she she drives actually. She drives what we call the speed limit. Does that bug you when you're riding in a car and someone isn't no. driving like you do? No, but I have a boy that's 15 that wants to drive every time we get into the car, mm. and I'm always like, no, I want to live today it's the sabbath so no. i'd rather not die thank yeah, you that's yeah. just how okay. we roll this is how we roll hey we got a lot to do straight ahead we're going to be talking about uh, your setbacks in life how do you handle the setback if if you always think of it as a failure then you're just a big failure right but what if we could tra- change that opinion to being more of life is just filled with experiments try this try that try this try that it's about learning We'll be teaching you uh, how to shift that mindset straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. You know, we all make mistakes in life. And how we view our mistakes can impact the quality of our life. Uh, Thomas Edison, for example, he said, I didn't fail a thousand times. Um, The light bulb was an invention with 1,000 steps. What a great way to look at it. Viewing setbacks and disappointments as experiments rather than failures will lead to greater happiness and less anxiety. Joining us today to talk about it is Dr. Jeffrey Bernstein. He's the author and uh, and a child and teen psychologist with over 30 years of experience. You can find out more information about uh, his program and uh, his practice on his website, drjeffonline.com, drjeffonline.com. Jeff, thanks so much for being with us today. Hi, Dan. How are you? Oh, good. It's Matt, by the way, just so you know. Uh, but oh, good, okay, Matt. No, you're, you're fine. Good to, good to have you here. And I love this idea. I had never heard that quote from Edison that he didn't fail a thousand times. He, the light bulb was an invention with a thousand steps. Is is this idea that um, we can just keep reinventing? Uh, it's not about failing, failing, failing. It's about inventing or or experimenting, experimenting. Is this is this something that we can can actually shift in our heads, or or are there some people that just aren't? They just want to. They're they're just going to find the failure. Well, I look, I mean, I, you know, this is where there's a quote from Rick Hansen, a very famous psychologist who said, you know, the brain is like Velcro for negative experiences and, and Teflon for positive ones. Huh. So we have deep embedded within us all this sort of watch out system goes back to the ancient beings where we're always fearing danger. And, you know, there's no more saber toothed tigers roaming the earth. But I think for a lot of us, it depends on how entrenched that programming really is. So are there some people that are just so deeply rooted in a sort of, you know, oh my gosh, I'm either a, you know, a success or failure, that all or nothing thinking? Probably. But for anybody who's willing to give it a shot, and there is the term neuroplasticity these days, we are hearing more and more, which is carving out new pathways in our brain. The more that we can start to shift 
And you have to practice at it. You know, it's just like taking a shower. You know, you take it today. You're going to have to keep taking it for days after yeah. if you want to plan to stay, you know, clean. Right. But the more you can make this part of your routine and actually, you know, take on this mentality that, you know, life doesn't have to be just passes and fails. And it takes the pressure off that we're all going through these experiences and experiments. It's a real paradigm shift. And I find it really freeing. I have to work at it a lot um, personally. But when I go there, boy, I just feel so much less, you know, cramped and boxed in and more flexible. I guess this would then be a great technique for people that feel anxiety and are maybe suffering from anxiety. It's just reframing life. Exactly. And, you know, I think the problem for so many people with anxiety is they think, well, once I'm over this, then I'll be free of anxiety. Once I'm over taking this test, if I'm a student, once I'm over going for this job interview, once I'm over trying to make my goal for the quarter, you know, my quota, if I'm in sales or business, and or once I get this house or once I pay off this loan. And we all know (laughs) that that's just a setup because there's always something else that seems to pop up uh, that we can sort of ruminate and obsess about. Um, so I think, again, the more we can reframe it, that there's a give and take in life and some things are going to be harder than others. And, hey, if I make a mistake, I'm just learning and I don't have to beat myself up because I am giving myself at least the opportunity to to take a risk and learn. You bet. What are the advantages to doing this? Um, if So if we could actually drill it into us enough and think about it enough that we mm-hmm. change the neuroplasticity, what would we see happen to our lives? What advantages would we get? Well, I think we'd be less hesitant to try new adventures, to stay in routines that are counterproductive for ourselves. We'd probably be more willing to take risks. I think we'd, we'd be less likely to beat ourselves up Um, and that could even mean for some people, you know, seeking comforts that aren't so healthy, like drinking too much, those vices that get in our way, um, comfort eating that gets out of hand. It's all sort of a chain of coping. Um, so I think, you know, I always say that the two most fundamental skills we all need to learn in life are the ability to calm down and solve problems. And I think the more this fits nicely into that, the more we can see life as a series of experiences and experiments, the more we it helps us calm down and problem solve. Mm. And because, um, too, it, my inability to calm myself and my inability to solve just the problems that come up, again, are going to do nothing but induce anxiety. So it, it becomes this cycle, doesn't it? It's a coercive cycle, and it can really be detrimental, and one, it just feeds on itself. Right. And even when you just said, Matt, inability versus challenge meaning, yeah. or difficulty or, you know, I think just, you know, learning to have language in our mind that is more empowering versus shutting us down. Um, for example, that should, you know, I should have done this, I shouldn't do that leads to can't. And instead of I will try, I will work toward, which, by the way, I think if we have those words in our mind, I'm working on this, I will work toward, it's okay, it's not the end of the world, that makes this a lot more doable, Mm. doable in terms of seeing life as experiences and experiments as opposed to 
you know, I just can't do it. This seems to get uh, into Carol Dweck's work on growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Is that is that a part of this, that that our life is not fixed and set for indefinitely? This is about a never-ending process of growing. It is. And, you know, one place where I see this is like in my counseling practice, sometimes I'll have people come in and maybe they lost a job or maybe a, a, a major didn't work out and they had to switch it for a younger, you know, like a college student. Um, and then they go into something else. And look, it doesn't always just seamlessly fit into catapulting them right, to a wonderful new place. But I can't tell you how many stories I've heard where somebody says, oh, my gosh, you know, I I lost my job. I thought it was the end of the world. It was really tough for a while, but then I never would have found this new opportunity or a relationship. I've seen this in relationships. Somebody goes through a breakup. They didn't expect it or they never believed that they could break up. And then they end up with someone that they feel is just much more compatible. So you're right. It's all about kind of getting out of our comfort zone and and welcoming new, new challenges. What do you do with your clients? What are some suggestions you give or methods you use to to help create the shift? Well, again, I think when I hear clients that, I, and I joke with them, when they're full of should, mm-hmm. like you know, people, and I'm keeping this G-rated, of course. I yes. know it's your radio show. But when I joke when they should all over themselves or they should all over others, cognitive therapy. And really, I've eliminated that word from my vocabulary. I'm no better than anybody else, uh, any of your listeners, but I've had to work at it. But I find that if I take that shoulding out, it really helps me feel more flexible less boxed in, and I replace it with would like, will try. Another phrase to work on is that what if. I think, you know, anxiety, Matt, is a land of fiction. It hasn't happened yet. Mm. Yet we fear these things that have not happened yet. And even having this radio show with you and speaking to you right now, I'm getting re... I feel good every time I get to give this message because it's something I have to work on every single day, you know? And and so I think another way to help us shift is gratitude. I think gratitude is the most undervalued means of comforting ourselves and calming down and seeing life in a more flexible way. Because the more we focus on what we have, it takes us away from just fearing what we don't have or won't get. Yeah, we are so... um... I, I don't know, I guess, and, and is this our mind? What What is it that drives us to the what-ifs, to the future, where it seems like gratitude brings you to what's present, but uh, right. the what-ifs takes you to the future, and it's it really does seem like, as human beings, we should be anxious if we're not in the present. Like, just simply because, hey, there could be a, you know, a, a mountain lion walking up behind you, ready to shred you. You ought to be present, but we live our lives in such a way that we're constantly so forward-thinking. Right. And if I may mention, my newest book, Mindfulness for Teen Worry, is very geared toward, because we need to start teaching our teens at a young age, preteens and teens, that how to be in the moment. You know, we hear a lot about mindfulness, but well, what is it? Well, mindfulness is, as you said, it's about being in the moment, you know, whether we go there by focusing on our breath, uh, whether we go there by focusing on our five senses, what we smell, what we hear, what we touch, you know, um, what we see, 
And so I think there's different ways, whether we visualize the sky, there's formal mindfulness, which is I'm going to sit and try to meditate for five, ten minutes, two hours. And then there's informal mindfulness, Matt, where we just might walk outside and notice the sky. And my gosh, that is so much bigger than I am. I'm just going to take that in. And that puts me in the present moment. So mindfulness is, is really something that's important for getting in the present moment. And if I may add one more point. So many times we say, I can't be mindful. I can't do this. This doesn't work for me. And that, accepting that, that struggle is part of being mindful. Interesting. And I guess I guess part of the mindfulness, too, is just noticing that struggle is what you're saying. Noticing our language and just noticing our thoughts, our language, our, and then if we need to, the sense, our, all of our five senses, and, and just noticing more things. Noticing and being able to give ourselves a break because I'll hear so many people say, I tried it. It doesn't work for yeah. me. I'll say, well, what happened? Well, I get all these thoughts that come into my head. Well, wait a minute. You know what? The human brain gets fifty to 70,000 thoughts that go through it every day, 400 thoughts a minute. So it's very hard to try to make your, brain yeah. into a, your mind into a blank slate. And that's the setup. That's the myth of mindfulness that I should be able to just tune everything out. No, it's about gently coming back and accepting that you're going to have all these distractions. What if I don't get this bill paid? What if this doesn't happen? What if I don't get this job? And that's okay. Mm. The irony is that acceptance helps us get through a lot of stress versus, you know, trying to fight against it. Yeah, that's great. Great advice. Is um, Because we do have a big movement going on for mindfulness, for happiness. The researchers like yourself and others are, are working, you know, endlessly to, to get more and more data. And even that could overwhelm us if we're not careful. Right. And I think, you know, the more we try to frantically search for what is what is going to make us happy, it becomes such a moving target. And I, again, I can't impress enough that two things that are so important to, again, you know, our show is focused on seeing life as a series of experiences and experiments instead of successes and failures. Two things are acceptance, being able to accept what's going on and learn to live with it and let it go. And we do that with mindfulness and, and, and then uh, having good, healthy self-talk and gratitude. So, so acceptance and gratitude really help us in making this mindset shift. Mm. Is, um, how have you seen the shift? Uh, what do you see happens to your clients, the anxious teenager, for example, or the, ancient, or the anxious adult when they actually do start to make this, this turn that life is just about experiment, experiments? Well, what I see are people who are more willing to take risks. They're more reflective. They're less reactive. I just I just had one lady today, this morning. She was a, a mother of a younger child, and she was having a lot of trouble in disciplining this child and the child's reactivity, and she was taking it so personally and saying, I can't be a mother. And the more that she was able to make this shift, it was so fascinating that she's getting more of a sense of joy. She's more in the moment. She's she's left hard on herself. She's staying away from that all or nothing, you know, thinking in those labels and said, oh, I'm struggling as a mom today, but it doesn't mean I can't be a good mother. Um, so it, it's just a lot more self-compassion that comes in. That's what I see a lot of mm. and being able to go with the flow. What do you suggest for us as parents to to uh, be modeling this for our kids and and, you know, helping our kids 
to prepare to use this paradigm more in their lives? Well, what, what do I suggest as parents? Yeah. Um, I, I think what I really suggest is think of yourself as a coach for your children. Don't just think of yourself as a parent. <laughs> and the more you try to, you know, we, we teach the best what we need to learn the most. So I think the most that we, the more that we can model this and this ability of, you know, not getting so, so all or nothing in our thinking and being flexed. So if a child doesn't do as well on a test, um, instead of, well, what are you going to do? Or a child, you know, doesn't get a homework turned in or is struggling, getting out of that pressuring, boxing in and saying, you know, what might help you get through this? How can I be of support to you? And, you know, tell invalidating our children when they're hurting as opposing to rushing in and trying to fix it. That one I see over and over and over that our own anxiety as parents gets in the way and we want to solve it as opposed to validating. We take it on way too reflexively versus allowing our kids to work through things. Yeah, no, that's such great advice. Jeffrey, thank you so much. Again, Dr. Jeffrey Bernstein, um, wonderful author as well. Recent book coming out, Mindfulness for Teen Worry. And you can get more information about all of his work by just going to his website, drjeffonline.com, drjeffonline.com. And uh, you can also learn more and understand more about his ideas about uh, thinking of your setbacks as experiments, not just failures. Well, that's what we try to do on the show, give you the tools, the information, the ideas you need to help your family, your life, and to minimize your own uh, suffering. This, this world's not just about suffering. Come on. It's about learning and growing and becoming the best that we can be. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be doing some empty news for you. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. It's time, folks, to go find out about the news you didn't know you needed to know. And who better to help us with that than our news anchor, Jeffrey Liam Simpson. How are you, Jeff? Good. I have a couple of stories here uh, that are very relatable and very frustrating for people like us. Like us uh, that, you know, that, that don't have frustrations normally. No, you'll understand here in a second. Okay. To some, these might seem like first world problems, but don't you hate it? When you wreck your million-dollar Ferrari yes, and you can't get the compensation for it that you were hoping? Yes. So there's a Vancouver neurosurgeon who crashed his Ferrari into a lamppost back in 2012. He's demanding his auto insurer cover the full costs of repairs, Uh citing an affront to his sense of dignity. So, I mean, right off the bat, you can totally (laughs) relate to this guy. Because, man, it it does, it just crushes your dignity when your million dollar, you know, Ferrari is What are you supposed to drive, a normal car? I know. And as the story goes on, you'll you'll understand why he feels this way. So the lawsuit uh, is estimated at $982,000. Wow. Uh, Dr. Navraj Haran originally wrecked his rare Ferrari back in 2012, as I mentioned. It's a Ferrari F. 
40. Have you heard of it? You've probably owned one at one uh, point or another. I had an F30, but yeah. I just wanted a different one. Well, just save up a little more, yeah. and maybe you can get one of these next year. The Insurance Corporation of British Columbia offered him $503,000 at the time. Of uh, course, he scoffed at that, yeah. as we all would. The luxury car uh, ultimately had to be shipped to Toronto for repairs, bringing the uh, the ICBC payout up to a total of 790000 Nice try. Right, uh-huh. you got it. Not you know, get, a quarter mil. Almost low. there, almost yeah. there. The insurer has covered those costs, but Haran says that is still not enough, and is now suing to cover what he says is the full cost of repairs, an estimated nine hundred eighty-two thousand sure, dollars. Sure, he said his latest notice of civil of civil claim against the agency that it was unsettling and embarrassing for him to have the Ferrari absent from his vehicle collection. Of course. Uh, I mean, you invite your friends over yeah. for a, a vehicle viewing party. Right, right, right. right. And, and then there's that empty spot. Oh, it's the there's worst. There's the empty spot. It's the worst. So he says it makes uh, his collection, which makes available for public display and appreciation. A judge ruled that the embarrassment paragraph in Haran's claim, uh, it's going to be struck from his notice, calling it frivolous. I, wow. I, I, wow. He obviously has never owned Doesn't understand. an F40. However, the case remains unresolved as the court awaits additional financial estimates from Haran. <sighs> These people. They just don't they understand. They don't understand what you go through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These people. That's a good way to describe them. These, they those. Don't, they, we shouldn't dignify them yes. with any other cate- you know, uh, mm-hmm. categorization. Yes. Here's another one that uh, it's just the worst. Oh, boy. Don't you hate it when your $85,000 violin is crushed by a car. Now, now that's, that actually hurts me more because that is the baby of somebody that has been playing that thing. I have a friend that's shopping to look for a new violin and they, it's, it's taking in, I think it's taken two or three years. To I find actually, the one. I wanted to bring in my $85,000 violin this morning to play this music that yeah. you hear now, but uh, it was crushed. Yeah. Not by a not by a car, but actually my nine month old. So I just had to play this stock uh, cleansing the palate. I'm sorry music. you lost that. Yeah, You're, I mean you have a, you have a nine month old, a baby, and the he baby just, crushed. He your just baby. demolished it. The baby crushed my baby. So this one's in California. Uh, a California woman and her daughter are suing a New York City parking garage and a couple of its employees over a violin that got run over. Beth Bergman filed the suit in Manhattan Supreme Court on Friday. She claims she and her daughter were taking their possessions out of a car at the West 51st Street garage in August. You've parked your F40 there many times. They had put the expensive Degani violin in its Mm -hmm. case on the ground. The suit says an employee drove over the instrument and caused damage in excess of $85,000. Now, as I mean, it's common knowledge that when you put your $85,000 violin on the ground of a parking garage, the attendant is actually supposed to come over, put a piece of fabric over it, set yes. up some cones, yes. stand and like wave yeah. other cars. Have a little flashlight right. to stop other cars. And it sounds like not only did he not do this, but he was the one that ran over the $85,000 violin. Ooh. A call to the garage company was not immediately returned on Sunday. An employee named in the suit, Victor Asitimbe told the New York Post the daughter was crying like somebody uh, died. No, 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 well, no. Yeah. Yeah. This is a big – okay, let's look at it this way because you you do a lot of voice work. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people don't know this about you, but you um, you on the side 
you do voice work for cartoons, commercials, and um, I don't know. Audio books. Audio books. Video games. So you have an instrument. Yeah. Much like a Stradivarius. Yeah. Let's say that they put you on the ground and drove over your instrument. I would probably die. Yeah, I First know. of all, you if they die. drove over my neck. Like that little girl. Yeah. Was sad that she, she... was crying like somebody died, mm-hmm. the attendant said. He said, we didn't do anything wrong. If you have something very special, you don't put it on the, the floor. Can you believe that? Well, yeah, but the again... Gall, the gall. The gall? No, the gall. The gall. Yeah. These people, like you said, these people just don't understand. No. And... And they never will. No one should drive over another person's instrument. Mm-mm. Um, if, if, if I were, if I saw you on the ground, I wouldn't drive over your throat. Thank you. I'd try, I'd aim more for your belly. Your belly. This guy clearly was just not doing his job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we wish him the best. Uh, we wish him the best. But I mean, it's, it is an important instrument to people that play it. This is another great show idea where he doesn't have the $85,000 to pay her. So he becomes her butler. That was actually the premise within the premise of an episode of Seinfeld. Oh, thanks for bringing that up. Hey, up next, we'll be talking to our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Yes, it is that time, folks, uh, to head down in our convertible Mercedes and drive down to visit our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Today, it's uh, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Are you there, in kids? The conference, you don't need to walk. Oh, coming up. <laughs> we, we, are, we have uh, Spencer and Jerem who are, um, they've got one more week until uh, LDS conference break. And then that means all weekend they've got nothing else going on. Is that right, gentlemen? Nothing else going on. Except... Listening to conference, of course. Watching all five or listening. Hey, by the way, speaking of uh, LDS things, um, I was just asked to be interviewed last week on a show called LDS Profiles. And I went and I had to look up LDS Profiles and I found that you two had also been interviewed. Yes. It was an enjoyable program. It was a wonderful program and it was a great experience. And you, you two were on it and it was fun to just hear your stories of how you both came to be the famous, incredible broadcasters that you both are. I'll take one of those two and it's probably the latter, not the former. <laughs> no, you bo- you bo- and I didn't realize that you guys had been friends for such a long time, even before having your show together. The friendship... Is in question. One, I understand. One got Spencer here. Hopefully, he could have been here independently, but it certainly helped. And then two, uh, the show would not be here. But how fun to do it together? Because you guys, you did college. We did a show TV together. and radio. Yeah, together. It was Wayne, that, the beginning of Wayne and high school. Like not in high school, but we covered high school together. Sports <gasps> together. It was our Wayne's World. It was your Wayne's it, World. Literally a local cable access channel. We wouldn't uh, play the guitar or anything, but uh, we did sports, and that was kind of, little did we know, the genesis of what we see today. It wasn't an opinion-based show. It was no. more 
Just, Sports center like highlights yeah. and an interview and whatnot. But it just provided us great opportunities to get reps in and absolutely kind That's of develop this camaraderie and ten thousand ten thousand hours it helped you get your ten thousand. I was thinking about the, that the other day. That idea, yeah. Um, from who is it, Malcolm? Malcolm Gla- Gladwell. Gladwell. By the way, which which one of you would be Garth and which would be Wayne? Well, it, Wayne's the main host. So that would be Spencer. Okay. But I was Garth during our Halloween spooktacular. Mainly just because of your hair color. Yeah. And and your personality. <laughs> yes. Hey, um, <laughs> that was funny. Hey, what what do you guys uh what do you think of this final four? Has any I mean, I guess nobody's told Loyola that they're not supposed to be able to keep winning. I love it. I love it. Because you have the Cinderella element. Yes. You've got Michigan, who hasn't lost since early February. Right. And you've got two perennial powers on the other side. It's kind of shaking up like 1983 did, where a lot of people think Kansas and Villanova is the real national championship. And then Then whoever wins that game is going to beat Loyola or Michigan. But then NC State in 1983 defeated Houston, who was the overwhelming favorite that beat Louisville in the Battle of One versus Two. So Dave Rose. Was Dave there. Rose. Yeah, it's it's kind of got that feel to me of a Final Four. Oh, plus I think there's the miracle of the the nun that prays for her team from Loyola, Chicago. And Sister Jean. Yep, Sister Jean. God cares about sports. So totally, totally made Steve Young. He hasn't and, cared about BYU football since 84, apparently. Well, <laughs> don't look at it that way. Don't look at it that way. It's it's just Sister Jean's praying really hard. And, and by the way, to be a 98-year-old praying nun that's getting her team to the the final four, this is a big deal. Pretty impressive. If BYU said this, there would be such an uproar. No, oh, totally, huh? Magic happens. So whenever I, whenever I hear this stuff, I'm like, ugh, <laughs> the hypocrisy. Yeah. Because that, yeah, yeah. If BYU, well, well, I mean, BYU puts itself out there with a— Certain vibe, right? So then, totally. when it actually goes there, it gets mocked for going there. Well, and, and BYU has an enemy in at the University of Utah, where there are also LDS believers that don't like that, so they seem to push even harder on it. Yeah, yeah. this just in: BYU is a religious school. Some didn't know that, <laughs> but we like to highlight it every breaking once in a while. on the show. So, um, okay, so you guys are doing your show because it's a it's you've you've gone from Wayne's World. Uh, your old your own cable show back in the day to now primetime beautiful incredible amazing talented uh, the best college sports show on television and radio. Wow! So can we quote you on that? Yeah, like, can we use that in a commercial? Turn that into a promo. BYU Sports Nation is the number one college sports show in America. You really are. And it says Matt Townsend in like size yeah. four font. Yeah, like size four font. <laughs> like yourmom.blogspot.com. Yeah. Awesome. Brilliant. Look at, look at his Wikipedia page for more information about Matt. Um, talk about your show. What what will we be focusing on on the magic of BYU Sports Nation today? There's a lot to discuss today. Oh, baby. And and one, one angle is, is Gonzaga potentially going to the Mountain West the biggest story in BYU sports right now? <laughs> oh, that's, that's sad. Okay, yeah. The latest from spring football, how's the quarterback battle shaping up, and the running backs. Mm. That's been a quiet storyline. The importance of who emerges at running back, and is there any uh, progress? Yeah, who's the quarterback in a handoff to? Who's the guy behind the quarterback? It's got to be Katoa. 
You've been paying we attention have an interview to BYU with Sports him. Nation, he, and we will go two-on-one with him today. My son was in the mission with him, and they were really, really good buddies. In Independence, Missouri. Yes. yes. The New Jerusalem. Yes. Sorry. That's it. <laughs> that was just a little ad for Independence, Missouri. Oh, hey. Well, it's uh, so 20 wonderful minutes from Kansas like, City. We are? Yes. You guys, um, anything else on the show that we need to pay attention to? Which is more likely for BYU, a New Year's Six bowl game for football or an Elite Eight run back for to basketball? Oh. Uh, <laughs> I think the Missouri thing's got a really good shot. <laughs> this is a general conference. Or, or would you say down. Final Four of basketball? New Year's Six bowl game okay. Crazy. for BYU football right. or an Elite Eight run for BYU basketball because oh. that would equal the farthest that BYU has ever gone into the tournament. Oh, Wow. Well, especially when I saw what happened to Gonzaga losing as easily, you know. I mean, it's good, good, good teams are in the final. I don't know. Okay. So, I okay, you'll figure that out then on your show. Mm-hmm. Anything okay. else? Anything else you need us to know? Will BYU make a 50-plus yard field goal this year? Why we think that's the game. <gasps> so we must have a good And what kicker. role has it played in BYU's lack of success and in independence? Mm-hmm. Like, lack meaning getting to 10-plus wins consistently one time in seven years. Mm. Kickers. That's the kicker right there. <laughs> Adam Sandler, lonesome kicker. That's the kicker. Well, gentlemen, I know it's going to be a home run, as always. We think you're the best. Keep it up. Uh, Wayne, from, from Garth and Wayne to Spencer and Jerem. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Actually, from Wayne and Garth to Spencer and Jerem. Uh, they're just so professional. It's, it's hard to know. You know, I, I always have dreamt with this show that my show could reach the level of professionalism as BYU Sports Nation. And, uh, it, you know, it's just not happening. I don't know why, as I look at Jeff. And I mean no ill. Hey, um, also, as you know, we like to also end the show with a hero story. And today's hero story is, a Tex- is about a Texas teenager who is now being hailed as a hero after a horrific crash Timmy Ennis, 19, suffered severe injuries. Eyewitness said Ennis was in the backseat of his best friend's car with his best friend, his best friend's girlfriend, and a couple, and the couple's two young children were traveling when they ran out of gas. The mother, Ali Flores, said they laughed about the ordeal as they pulled onto the shoulder. Flores said that her daughter, Zariah, too, and her three-month-old son, Marcus, were next to Ennis. Flores uh, told Eyewitness News that they saw a pickup truck about to collide with their car, and in split seconds which followed, Flores said Ennis tried to shield the children. He really saved our daughter's life. They're best friends. That's like her second father, said Flores. Zariah was underneath Timothy. He pushed her down so that uh, she wouldn't be impacted by the car. He basically saved both of my kids' lives. Uh, Like Timmy's side was barely hit, Timothy moved over so the impact wouldn't hit my kids. Although Marcus suffered some brain trauma, doctors expect him to make a full recovery. Ennis is in the fight for his life. His mother, Melissa Ennis, said her son is heavily sedated. He suffered broken bones, brain swelling, and a punctured lung. He is a hero, Melissa Ennis said. He's always been my hero, and now he's really my hero. So one teenager does everything he can to put himself between these children uh, in this backseat and this accident and, again, now is suffering brain damage because of it. A true blue hero. Can you imagine? And, uh, by the way, proud and love these kids, and yet 
also uh, injured because of his heroic actions. So that's really what this world's about, though, is knowing what's important and putting those important things first. We all can do better, I think, and uh, we all can be motivated to know of people like Timothy Ennis. What a man. We will uh, we'll continue bringing these stories, bringing you the hope you need in this world. This world is good. There is a lot of benefit and a lot of light out there, folks, and you're part of that light as well. So let your light shine. That's our show for today. We'll be back again tomorrow, but stick with BYU Broadcasting because BYU Sports Nation is up next.